0: By two. Marana, Nick you.
1: must remember those words. Gordons are Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you. I'm a We've done our season. We've gone through what has been our longest season. Uh, as you sort of said in the, I think the end of the last episode, we've covered from 1930 up to 2020. We've already done 90 years of science fiction cinema. Um... And at the halfway point, we did um, a reach back for the, for the first part. We, we did covered Just Imagine, all the way through to Howard the Duck. And we gave our ratings and our thoughts. And today we're back, and we're going to do the second half of the series. And we'll probably do a little bit of an overview of the whole series. But we're going to start from The Running Man and go up to Possessor. And we're going to talk about those, given our our scores and our thoughts um, on each of these.
2: Well. I just can't believe we're, we're done with uh, series four. Mm. Like, you know, this was the most ambitious, you know, season we've ever done. Uh, I mean, this was a year long project. Yeah. Of, you know, 26 episodes bi-weekly, you know, each running, you know, close to two hours or so, mm. um, you know, really not to mention bonus episodes, things like this. And, you know, it, it's hard to believe at the beginning. I thought, you know, we'll never get through this, you know, this, this, you know, uh, and now here we are at the end. It's yeah. pretty amazing. We're ambitious, ambitious Fox, man.
1: Yeah. No, and we've got more to come. I mean, it's, it's one of the, oh, one, yeah. one of the things I would say is that this season has done. I like say it seems to have given us a license to think bigger. Um, hmm. and also it, it, triggered a couple of things for us to be like oh actually there's other bits and pieces we want to talk about but aren't really Mm. you know required for the main feed Mm -hmm. um and so now on patreon we are doing a series of bonus things where they're sort of you know we've done um thx 1138 4b Mm -hmm. the original um short that George Lucas did at California University we did uh, Battle Royale 2 the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy TV series Transformers the original TV series Hard to be a yeah, god 1989 three. yeah uh, and then uh, um sorry and Blade yeah. Runner 2049 the prequel uh episodes or prequel episodes <laughs> the prequel shorts Right, and then and then the short that was was created alongside Possessor. So we we, we did a lot of of yeah, quite a bit supplemental material, really, which Bogus is especially
2: material. especially impressive considering it was already the longest season we'd ever done. And you know, I mean, twenty six episodes is quite a bit to you know, especially to add stuff to.
1: Mm. Yeah, so I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. I think it's well deserved. I think we've yeah. done a great we've done a great job and. What I would say is as well. Just before we jump into these, is I'm looking at the list. I've got the list up just just up next, and so I'm looking at it, thinking mm-hmm. we did. Uh, it's the the diversity of the stuff that we have covered on this series is is been really good fun as well. Like we've done, um, we've had. What was it? Song and dance numbers from the thirties. <laughs> um, oh yeah, we've had. French new wave cinema, we've had Star Wars, Star Trek, the first Marvel film,
2: mm. uh, through to um, popular stuff like Transformers and Running Man, you yeah. know, to a bunch of uh, foreign stuff. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, Time Crimes, Hard to Be a God.
1: Yeah, some really interesting sort of We've, we've covered the gamut of things, I think, so I'm really, really pleased with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really chuffed, sure yeah, with what we what we've achieved. Um so today we are going to cover and we're gonna go back and score. So quickly put a number on it. Yeah, 12 films. Um, so we're gonna cover off and we're gonna talk them talk them through. So we might as well jump in because we've got to sort of get through them all. Um, we are gonna go back to the mid season start. Uh 1987, the running man. This is the Arnold Schwarzenegger semi satire. I think really is what we sort of we sort of landed on. Um, yeah. Well, any rem- remaining thoughts? I think we just go back and have a quick chat about the Running Man before we put our scores in. I think
2: that the, you know I don't remember the Running Man very well. Um, you know, and I know you're a bigger fan than I am. Um, you know, I I just. I think its hokiness is less charming to me than it is to you. It's one of those movies where, like, I never mind when it's on TV, mm. um, you know, to see it again. I never mind. I can kind of, like, tune it out and I don't feel like I'm, you know, like committing some crime against art by, you know, <laughs> writing at the same time or something or answering an email. Um, but I, but then in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I always I, – I, it's not – I always wish it were, like, Total Recall, you know, yeah. Uh, instead.
1: Yeah, it's one of those films that does feel a little bit like a missed opportunity, doesn't it? It's one of those where you sort of, as we watched it, you sort of go, oh, okay, there's a real strong nugget of um, Verhovian sort of, like, satire running through this, but it's not quite Robocop or, or Starship Troopers or Total Recall. Um but it's still fun. I mean, I I'm not gonna lie, like you said, the charm is there. Um, you know, Jesse Ventura's Captain Victory, Buzzsaw, like all the the, the runners <laughs> and, and the gladiators, like right? um you know, I, I think I just think it's it's it, there is a charm to it. Um I mean it's nonsensical, like it you know, it's one of those that sort of like it, it runs with an idea but it doesn't quite doesn't expand on the world and stuff like that. But um it's a successful Arnie film for me. I think it's one of my, you know, it's one of those good 80s. It's very 80s. Um, oh yeah. Um, but I, I do, oh, yeah, I, I do quite enjoy the, enjoy it. Um, well, it,
2: it's sort of like, what year is it? I mean, 87? Yeah. yeah so it's sort of like a, a stepping stone, and you know Arnie's career better than I do, you know, between like the first of his Commando, and, you know, uh, and, you know, like Total Recall and stuff like that. That's sort yeah, of prime I mean, this, Arnie.
1: this came out the same year as Predator,
2: yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah,
1: yeah. So, this it. is this is this sort of uh, which 87 is a bit of a turning point for him because it does it sort of leads him up to um, a series of, of you know, different films he was trying to do. So, um, he, he's not the embarrassment he was. I, I still like Commando, but I acknowledge that it's it's even more hokey, badly edited and badly acted. It's better than that. Um, but I also find that this film, one of the things we sort of picked up on was the, um, am going say the, the sexual politics of this film really, mm. really did not age well. Like he basically he kidnaps a woman. She's She is then uh, forced into taking part in the running games, but eventually falls in love with Arnie. Possibly, but he basically grabs her around the neck and walks off with her at the end of the film. So <laughs> literally. This yeah. Is not an exaggeration.
2: Yeah, no. that is true. Um Yeah, and, and I think that the world doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, there are look there are a lot of post apocalyptic or you know, post fascist sort of worlds where you end up thinking like, Yeah, I mean, this may this makes sense as an idea on paper. I have no idea how this function. Um yeah. And this is definitely one of those.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all um, it's all sort of show. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, even the film itself sort of like falls for its own. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of like its own flash and bravado. Because you do, you go, mm-hmm. oh, this idea of the show, the running man is amazing. And then you're trying to apply it and go, how does this work? in a society you go it doesn't matter just watch the show just watch the show and that's sort of its point um so yeah it's it's one of those odd films that decries violence as a sport but then wants you to enjoy violence as a sport so uh,
2: well that but that's very verhoeven isn't it right like you know uh boy what a terrible society that would make robocop
1: well but they already have so we might as well (laughs) watch them shoot people in the face that's it's it, yeah, yeah. It but it looks cool, and you're like, okay, it does. You're right. Um, I mean, the, the joy for me is Arnie is good in this, but I think that having Richard Dawson, um, as um Damon Killian is is also a, a genius oh, yeah, yeah. in this. Like, he works wonderfully as a sort of like d- diva, Storyable. yeah, like, yeah. Um, game show host, sort of like you know, sort of uh, so how's uh, he
2: sort of steals the show he's uh he's very good um, yes I w- I will say that the sort of Arnie, very sort of uh late 80s sort of Arnie like uh quips you know sort of that definitely recall uh sort of Batman and Robin for me you know um and there are ones that work and ones that are just sort of like oh yeah I mean I will say I like it better than Batman and Robin I mm-hmm. do think it works better than Batman and Robin um but, you know, that may not be uh, a high bar. No, it,
1: no. But I agree. I think, like you said... No, yeah. yeah. like, At least
2: Arnie isn't in a Mr. Freeze
1: costume. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, like, what's funny is you say about the puns <laughs> and there's one-liners. What's hilarious, I, and I agree, is the fact that is some of them do land and land well. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, there is a pun quality to them. Sort of like, you know... Um, when he cuts Buzzsaw in half and he's like, he mm. had to split and there's other bits like that and you go, hey, and then there's ones where he's just calling uh, Electro. He's like, come on Christmas tree, chase me light bulb and you're like, this, this is the same person writing the script. It's caught with the other bit, like, is this the mm. best you could do with? Uh, so yeah, it is a bit of a mixed bag. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, so- but I mean,
2: it's good enough that we both want like a, uh, a redo. We both want, oh, yes. you know, definitely like the running man with that sort of Verhoeven-esque uh, thing. Even done more violent. Even, you know, put a little bit of, you know, you know, one of the things that I think for me is unfortunate for the running man is, you know, I like that, obviously, we're both huge Verhoeven fans, but um, I'm also such a huge fan and kind of like grew up with the uh, original Rollerball, yes. uh, which is sort of like all the violence, none of the fun, you know. Yeah. Um, none of the quippishness, um, and maybe my own personal tastes tend more toward that end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, no, I think we, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a remake to be made here. Okay, so score time. What so are we? So I
2: gave this a five point seven five.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I, I've actually, I had to go back and think about. It. Um, I gave this a six.
0: Mm.
1: so we're you know, close yeah yeah there's it, enjoyment I understand that this isn't a great film but um So you were surprised I was that high but... I am I am I was okay. expecting like a four and a half or a five at oh. least.
2: But, but, uh... Oh no 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 this is definitely better than a uh, that like a five is like man you know like yeah. this is definitely better than that this is a lot to recommend it I think I can't quite go six because six is like you know getting into good film solid record. stuff that's that's yeah
1: you know, yeah. Um you know, but yeah. Well talk all right, let's talk talking about uh solid stuff. Let's talk about Waterworld. Oh, please, bless. Yeah. yeah this is not one that needs a remake. No. Um,
2: no, <laughs> no, no, this was painful. Um mm. it was more painful than I remember, frankly. I mean, I remember this as sort of like, yeah, there's some good stuff in that. And the more the older I get, the more I watch it. I'm like, right now I watched that as a kid and thought there were good stuff in that. It's not completely void of interesting ideas, but none of it works to the point where it's salvageable.
1: No, it's an odd one. Me. I mean, it's, no, no, I agree. I mean, you watch the shorter version as well, and the shorter version mm-hmm. is clearly too long as well. I watched the longer version, the the uh, um, I forgot what it's all called now, but the bloody yeah, the full cut as it were, the director's cut. Doesn't add a great deal into it. Doesn't really help it in the slightest. Um, it, it just is a longer version of what you've already been watching. The crux of this film, the, the crux of the problem I have with this film is the fact, I and mean, obviously I think we covered it when we talked about it, I think Kevin Costner is a, is a huge miscast. The more I think back on it, the more I realise what a huge miscast it is. And that he and Dennis Hopper are clearly making two different mm-hmm. films. And I think I want to I want to watch the Dennis Hopper film. (laughs) Absolutely, no, you're completely
2: right. I mean, it's these sort of like Mad Max, um, you know, late Mad Max sort of like Thunderdome Mad Max. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, if Waterworld needs Running Man energy to sustain it, and if Running Man has an incoherent version of the future, Waterworld is like, (laughs) hold my beer, you know, like I. I mean, t- totally incoherent, and and so for that kind of but I mean it does have some kind of you know the quest idea is decent you know I mean you know I mean there's an evocative part here hmm. it's just buried under you know under stuff that takes itself way too serious I mean the Exxon Valdez
1: makes no sense but <laughs> yeah. you know but I, I love the idea of it I love the idea this is the yeah. thing it's like. I went back. <laughs> uh, uh, this isn't recent. I was on YouTube and I was there was something about water, water world. It's one of those like uh, pitch uh, ideas. Those shorts that sort are of pitching the idea, and it showed a clip, and it has that clip of Dennis Hopper sat in the back of a Cadillac, riding around inside the Exxon Valdez, throwing cigarettes mm-hmm. to people, and I'm like. This is insane. Like, if you were to see that clip and you were like, oh, this is an entire film and they're on a boat and it's the world, it's water world, you'd be like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And then you watch a 10 minute sequence of Kevin Costner riding a boat (laughs) and just being grumpy. And you're just like, yeah, it's just, uh, he wasn't designed for this. I mean, this is not to say I dislike Kevin Costner. Like, I recently watched JFK, I've watched uh, a couple of Yellowstone. Yeah like the guy he's good like I like Kevin Costner and things like I think he has a certain energy I enjoy when he's in the right thing I like Field of Dreams I think there are certain films I enjoy yeah this this is not bad in the right part he's been exactly. in a lot of man of steel
2: a lot of bad parts where he was miscast
1: exactly yeah for some reason they keep like he he did a um following in the sort of the footsteps of the aging action star. Like he did one called Three Days, I think. Um, that he did a couple of years ago. And I watched that. I'm not recommending it. It's dreadful. Um because again it feels like oh well funnily enough, as I was watching it, I was I kept thinking, this feels like this should be Mel Gibson.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: I thinking Mel which, Gibson which is a, be... a
2: phrase nobody has ever said in human history
1: by the <laughs> <way>. <laughs> no well, not 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 since the you know since his incident I don't think uh, but um yeah I'm not going to defend him but I do no I'm not going to go there that's controversial uh, but uh, I'm not gonna, I agree with con- I just find that Mel Gibson had an energy in the 80s and 90s mm. like Mel, Mel Gibson is as Martin Riggs well, a lethal weapon
2: kind of you know yeah. yeah
1: you you chose him Scooping for those it. things and, yeah. you know, I've seen films he's done post being pushed out of Hollywood, and he still has that energy. And there is that thing where I'm so like, Grizzled grizzled Mad Max would have been cool. I'll tell you
2: what, the, the thing about Costner is, and I agree with you, like, I mean, I like I like him in sort of that, that run of stuff of like JFK and, and, and stuff like that, Field of Dreams, you know. Mm. But what's interesting is both of those movies – the thing is, people confuse him for an everyman. Yes. He's not really he can't really play an everyman. Both of those movies, he's an obsessive everyman. Yes. He is the kind of he's an everyman figure, but he's really like utterly obsessed and utterly crazy, right? But he comes off as quote of like that Republican, straight laced, yes. conservative version of like he would be great in a remake of Falling Down. You know, yes. that he's that kind of every man and every man who's headed and is a little too obsessive. Right. But he's got to have an edge to him. And, you know, when he play, when he's cast as these kind of straight everyman characters, it never works. No. Um, and Waterworld, he's supposed to be, you know, like he's not really obsessive. He's just, you know, I'm a badass, you know, uh, relatable. He's not relatable. I mean, no. Kevin Costner is flat. You know, and that's why it works with him being obsessive but not relatable.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you say, it's not because he in this like he needs to be grumpy, and you need to see an arc of him becoming, you know, the little girl and the woman sort of like break through that hardened shell and all sort of stuff. But there is no emotional arc. Like he's the grumpy sod at the start of the film, and he's just a he's just a vengeful grumpy sod at the end of the film. But like I, I never feel like there's that transition um where I think other actors would have been. Would have made this a much, much better film.
2: Yeah. Um, so, what did you give this? I gave it a five. Oh, wow. I gave it a four.
1: Oh, okay. I, I couldn't, I couldn't because there was, <laughs> I, I gave it a five because of the Dennis Hopper stuff. And because I think the ending, ah. we said this, like there are flashes of this, like when they're attacking, when Dennis Hopper's stuff is attacking the floating town. Mm. And at the end, when, um, the mariner Kevin Costner attacks the bo- the boat, and he does a lot of stuff on that, and it's you know all the stuff with the plane, all that stuff's pretty good. It's not you know Kevin Costner's the weak link, but I'm liking some of that stuff, um, and so there's bits I like. So yeah, yeah,
2: I mean, I I would just say that both of those sequences don't work at all, like. You know the attack on the flotilla is just like where are all these guys coming from? How is this being strategized? I mean, none of this. I'm just like at some point I'm totally taken out of the action. I'm like, okay, this is the like third team of like guys on
1: skis who are flying over, oh, you know, and getting. I'm all down am loving Don't care. Don't care. It all. It, it, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't work. However. I'm still loving it in the same way that yeah. I I would love Mad Max, and I'm going like we know that petrol doesn't work this way. We know that yes. like you know machines shouldn't work this way. Um, the same thing's true on the on the Valdez where you know mm. it's like right. Your plan is to blow it up with you on
2: it, like you yeah, know, and and you're going to sink the number of boats that sink in this world where there's nothing. You know, <laughs> humanity is reduced to a few boats. Yeah. This is what you you want to be a little less cavalier. Yeah,
1: they that should means, be fighting it to save the boat. I mean, you know, the the film to me is encapsulated in the man that rows around in the oil in in the little boat yeah, on the Valdes, the, mm-hmm. the and then he drops the flare down there. And he just says, oh, thank mm-hmm. God. That's sort of how you feel towards the end of this film, when you're like, oh, this is the finale, thank God. Um, well, the important thing is that they didn't have
2: any of those liberal solar panels. They decided, <laughs> like, the world ended. Yeah. Let's push on with oil. It's oil or bust.
1: Yes, that's the 90s for you. Um, yeah, so I think that's fair. I think that's sort of five. But, we, you know, we're sort of, we're going to move on. It close, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, the next one's an interesting one. Um, Absolutely. And was a bit of a hidden gem. So we've gone with two mainstream yeah. films so far, but now we're going to be talking about Dark City from 1998, um, which I've watched a couple of times. And... This is, I still think, is massively underrated and doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and really, you know, for all the all the weird films that were made in the nineties, the nineties were really like an alter mm-hmm. era and stuff. And this film just seems to get forgotten about, and I think it's bizarre. But it, yeah, Dark City is a great film.
2: Yeah, I agree, and, and you know, uh, I completely agree with you. And it, it also is, you know, it. it R.C. is so i mean the german expressionism is just Mm -hmm. on its sleeve um you know that combined with this fascinating sci-fi premise that's very inception like i mean it's very you know the matrix inspired all of these sort of everything you know is wrong sort of plots this is doing that earlier um you know that that seems such a you know 90s or 2000s you know sort of thing this is right up there. Plus, you know, with that German expressionism, it's so, it's literally dark. It's literally gothic. Um, it's, it fits that 90s sort of like, you know, the the main difference between like 80s and 90s music is like synthesizer pop gives way to like, you know, it's all dirty and nothing matters and we're angry. <laughs> yeah. You know, This is such a 90s movie in that respect too. And I agree with you. It's totally maddening that this is sort of, disappear.
1: It's one of those weird things that every everyone I've spoken to about this film that's seen it says how much they liked it, but no it, it never seems to have had a like a resurgence, which is kind of interesting. Um and you're right, I think this has been overshadowed by The Matrix, which we, we one day we'll talk about The Matrix. Um and it might get controversial. But there's something about this film. I think the cast are great. I love the fact that this film has um this also sort of, you say about the German impression, um, uh, impression uh, impressionistic thing, but also this like pulpy art deco, um, mm. like detective story as well, at the heart of it as well. Like, you know, this, um, you know, they break into the that detective that's lost his mind and they break into his room and there's all the swirls and the papers up there. Mm. And it's all sort of like, it's so evocative of you know, each scene is so, um, Wonderfully weird and stuff, and has some great. Keitha Sutherland's good in it. When he, you know, there's a scene where he's in the water, and they sort of, they're telling him to get out. When they talk, and he's like, "No, I'm staying in it because they don't like water. This is the only place I'm safe. Like this is the only place mm-hmm. they won't monitor me." And there's these really creepy moments about these, these dark entities. Um, the downside of this film. Or what I do want to be balanced. The downside of this film is this idea that. Yeah, when you, when you do when the when the big reveal is played out, there are still questions,
2: <laughs> quite mm-hmm. big,
1: quite big and fundamental questions. When you're a bit like, well, how does this work? What happens next? You know, how long has this been going on for? How many generations and that sort of thing. Um, but it, you know it it feels like it could do more at the end, but I still like what it does.
2: I agree um i think sort of this and strange days both sort of need to be canonized as sort of quintessential 90s yes. sci-fi um and both have just kind of disappeared um you know obviously you know i agree with you that you know in, in the end there are scenes and special effects and you know and ultimately the plot falls apart you mm-hmm. know if you if you push on it hard enough but It's still really good. I mean, Mm. and and like you say, you know, nobody who's seen this doesn't like it. Um and you know, but both this and Strange Days kind of just like disappear into the memory a little bit, right? Yeah. Like you remember, I like it, but you don't remember all of those details, you know? Um so I don't know. I, I feel I feel bad about this movie that it has but that it hasn't had more success. But I also feel like this is something that both you and I probably, we want to trumpet. We want to say Mm. this deserves another look.
1: Yeah. I think there's almost like a top 10, like nineties movies that, you know, should be remembered. Um, You know, this strange days. I'd say I'd, I'd even vote for Gattaca. Um, There's others as well where you're like, yeah, like, you know, those sci-fi films that seem to have, you know people remember like people remember like johnny mnemonic
2: <laughs> but mm. they don't
1: remember this
2: yeah uh, that's very strange yeah and i mean like johnny mnemonic versus strange days is a more straight up comparison and I yes think Strange days is yeah yeah more interesting yeah. um but dark city is like you definitely do see sort of pre-matrix kind of you know in the darkness and the you know aesthetic mm-hmm. look and everything else um and it's interesting. Like if, if we do go back in time and sort of imagine what a um, uh, what a Dune uh, directed by what's his name, not Aronofsky. Um, hmm. Well, you know, uh, we imagine it.
1: Fa- the one that failed.
2: Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky yeah. If yeah. we imagine like a Jodorowsky's Dune and a different timeline for cinema than you know sort of star wars versus Mm. that which i I think is much more hypothetical imagine if park city had been matrix a year and a half earlier and alex proyas became like the wachowski uh siblings Mm. um and like suddenly alex proyas could make whatever the hell he wanted in hollywood
1: (laughs) and you know his version of speed racer you know i'm
2: just gonna say that would have been so
1: awesome right
2: like what would he have done
1: a really dark and twisted speed racer. I'm pretty sure they've, got, they've probably gone for some <laughs> slightly different properties, but yeah, no, um, it's an, it's just, it's just, yeah, there's just something about this film that I just find hugely appealing. Um, and I would probably say as I get older and maybe my sensibilities are changing somewhat, I find this film more appealing than the matrix. Mm. Um, Um, I don't know. There's just something yeah. I can take from this. Um, anyway, so what's, what so
2: a I gave scoring? it a, I gave it a seven
1: point five. Oh so did I. Wow. Yeah. Okay, hey, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, seven point five. That is a good once you're right, score. Scott. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think the next one though could be very different.
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: Uh so we're gonna leave the depths of the dark city. (laughs) We're going to go to, we're going to go to the bright countryside of somewhere in animated America. And we're going to talk about 1999's the iron giant, uh, by Brad bird. Um, this one, I still really enjoy. I know, you know, I think we appreciate uh, some, some issues, but there's a nostalgia element to this. I saw it in the cinema. I really enjoy going back to this. I just think there's there's something about this that sort of works for me. Um, the animation's good. I think the sort of the characterizations are good. I think there's so it has problems, but I understand why this is sort of considered a cult classic. Um, what about you?
2: Yeah, I'm of two minds. I mean, there are elements here that I really like. Obviously, like I like the animation style. I mean, I like the you know, the, the boy and his robot kind of stuff, um, you know, all that stuff sort of works. Um, obviously I'm, I'm glad this movie exists. I'm glad that, you know, I mean, it's been very influential. It's hard not to give it points for that. Right. On the yeah. other hand, the movie doesn't really work for me, uh, as a movie. Um, those elements work for me. Those scenes work for me. um, The junkyard doesn't work for me. I mean, that's straight out of a Michael Bay movie. I mean, you know, um, the whole nuclear finale doesn't work for me. I mean, like that makes a million crappy eighties movies seem logical by comparison. I mean, so I was sort of disappointed, you know, uh, sort of revisiting this and and seeing it for the, all the way through potentially for the first time. Mm. Um, you know, but I also like I I would say I'm not tainted by the nostalgia for it, Um yeah. in the same way.
1: No, I, I say that's fair because I think that's the thing is you, this there's there's a kid element to this for me because I have that thing of like you said the boy and the robot and I'm like yeah it's mm-hmm. cool, and the whole you know I still get, um, you know that that sort of bit with the Superman. Kind of thing, sort of, still gets me and all that sort of stuff. Like it's, it works for me. Like I know a nuclear bomb dropped on on America is <laughs> is, is ludicrous. Um, and generals but, eager to do it too, right? Like, well, the general isn't. It's the it's the f it's the G man. It's the it's the general who's like, you know, no, no, you chose to do this. You've got to face. We're all dead now. You've got to face this too, which is ridiculous in itself because they are a bit like. uh uh we should you know have something a bit more it's infrastructure in place to deal with this. Um but I don't know it is this, this is ET. This is uh, mm. you know a replacement for for Bumblebee. I mean that's obviously a, a was reading. and obviously the film is a girl and a robot but it has that sort of thing isn't it that, that same sentiment mentality of there are there are parts of Bumblebee that are a complete lift from Mm-hmm. this you know, the idea of like try and hide and then you know oh yeah that sort of stuff um yeah, so, yeah. And, i mean i th-
2: i would love to do, I, i've really wanted us to do ET. um you know because that's a movie that is so influential it belongs in a list of classic sci-fi stuff but um it's almost like take it for granted because mm. it's part of the cultural landscape. But unlike like Indiana Jones that everybody watches every night, right? Like, I mean, it just seems like India- Well, that's how, I, that's how I live since... my life. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, at the, at the Weatherly household, <laughs> yeah. you know, every night ends in Ghostbusters. It's like, all right, kids, gather around the fire, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You get Ghostbusters, you know, uh, Indiana Jones or, uh, you know, I don't know. Um,
1: well, as they get older, the the list slightly changes. I start to introduce like the Halloween franchise then as they get older. Mm, yeah, 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 uh, right. So you know, but I but I suspect e t, you know,
2: people don't watch, but I suspect it uh holds up mm. uh, pretty decently and and actually some of its themes have grown and 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 shown themselves to age well and be more mature. um, and I think that bumblebee. Well, you know, I mean, it's got problems. It, you know, the stuff, the boy and his robot, the girl and the robot stuff, fires at a much higher, now at a much higher rate for me. Now it's obviously, you know, years later, it's a girl in the robot, so she's older. It, you know, I, I find the boy in this very flat and uninteresting um, and sort of generic.
1: Yeah, no, I don't know what you mean. I mean, it's... This is, it exists in, um, this film exists in a weird transitional time as well in animation. You know, this is uh four mm-hmm. years after Toy Story, Pixar is starting to pick up, um you know, Disney is having trouble at this point. I mean, this is the period of, although I love Lilo and Stitch, but this is like Lilo and Stitch, Treasure Planet, Atlantis, mm-hmm. the sort of almost like the lost years of Disney. Uh, brother bear you know the ones that nobody seems to remember um and so this comes out and it's sort of i think the reason one of the reasons i do think this stands taller is because animation elsewhere was in transition and this sort of uses cg animation in a 2d way um but does it and does it well and sort of integrates it and so this just stands i think this just stands up for this era as oh this is the good animated film that that everyone likes mm. from the late 90s because there's not a great deal for it to go up against and I, so i do th- i do recognize that as well um but it, I, for me it still works i still really enjoy i do enjoy this film so let's so get what's to
2: rating
1: i i give this uh, a six and a half, six point five. 6.5. I gave it a six. Oh, okay, there you go. So, we're pretty close there. So, 6.5, yeah, 6.5. And I, uh, so that's it. Okay, very different. No uh, kid in the we're same go from,
2: movie that so interestingly, The Iron Giant was remade as <laughs> the next one, Battle <laughs> yeah. Royale.
1: Well, this is we, I was gonna say, we, we go from a kid and their robot to a kid's and their machetes, uh, crossbows, and machine guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, and poisons uh to yeah the year later 2000s battle royale i'll let you start i feel like this
2: one will be more divisive Mm. um so i mean i selected this i this one just works for me from start to finish if if anything i want it to be like twice as long uh i love it um all the stuff that bothers you are sort of like you know uh bad editing uh you know uh cheap filming i mean outside of a a few day for night shots, like just does not bother me. Um, I'm just charmed and moved by this movie almost from start to finish.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I see. It's one of those things. When I was looking at this list and getting ready for this, like I reflect on these and it's again, it's one of those films that I understand its influence. I understand why this film stands up. And I do think there's a period like 98, about 2002, this sort of transitional period in cinema where like, we do get a bit of a shift. And this is one of those films that really sort of like struck out where, you know, people, this is one of those sort of a culturally, it's a culturally Japanese film. It's not just a Japanese film. It's a culturally Japanese film that landed in the rest of the world and, and worked like people, in, you know, talk to it. Um, And people were like, oh, there's a whole ream of other cinema that we can watch and things. So I understand why. And I I do see there are parts of this film that work really well. And I find that some of the characters are fascinating. I think some of the ideas are really good. But, yeah, I can't get past, as you say, some of the really odd choices. Like I said, there's there's some terrible editing. But also there are bits that just don't work for me. Um, Some of the bits just run flat. Um, and, and so, yeah, it, whole lighthouse sequence, the whole thing with those, the, the, yeah, the, the whole thing and, with the whole thing with the girls like and, and the screaming and the, then they poison and they shoot and it's some of the mm-hmm. worst acting of death acting and it's just messy and and um, I, I can
2: see the acting. Uh, I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, but yeah, the idea is fine, but even even that, you know, it, uh, there's parts. So if that's in it, for example they've all been clubbing together, but then the paranoia sets in and, and you know, mm. all this other stuff. Um, and then there's like that, the bullying and it all goes from there. But I don't know. It just feels too quick. It's one of those that sort of like, mm. the, you know, they, they sort of, it jumps from sort of like set piece to set piece, to set piece very quickly. Yeah. And because of that, I'm like, I don't get to sort of, that's a scene where you were like, right. As you said, make the film a bit like, it's not that long, make the film a bit longer. Yeah. And have a scene like that play out where you are trapped in that lighthouse with them, and you're like, "This is intense, and this is problematic, and you don't know who to trust." Mm-hmm. And so, when they do turn, it feels like a really big thing. Otherwise, it just feels a bit like you know, skip over it. Next one, you've seen that death. Skip on to the next one. That's I mean.
2: true. That's fair. And in the mini series of uh, of this, right, the the Netflix. Uh, Miniseries or whatever, um that whole lighthouse would be a whole episode. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. and it would be a great episode, right? Yeah. I mean, it would be like, oh wow, that's that's like that Walking Dead episode that sort of like it is following its own kind of characters and its own little like play for mm. forty five minutes that works in what is mostly a bad show, but you know, um this
1: would be that episode where it's just the bottle episode. Great. <laughs> they were all dead. Yeah. When they often yeah. do those bottle episodes, where they're like, "Right, we're going to have one set, and we're going to do this group of people," usually for budgetary reasons. But like sometimes mm-hmm. they work really well because you've got to be innovative. That would be great, but it's just, and again, the one of the things I had doing uh, it in of,
2: five ten minutes is
1: probably
2: that's where it starts to feel its impact. Like,
1: exactly yeah. yeah losing its impact. I think one of the things that this film did for me was it sort of I got tired of the. You know it's a it's because it's a bloodbath yeah, yeah by the end of it you're a bit desensitized even to within its own with its own within its own rules you know i'm just like okay <laughs> the next thing um what's that's so funny to me because you are you've watched like all the
2: friday the 13th all the like uh freddy Krueger, all the you know texas chainsaw massacre i've seen so little of any of that but <laughs> like real <laughs> I mean, I've seen a couple of Saw movies and Hostels and stuff, but I mean, I've seen so little of the sort of like classic violence, splasher stuff, mm. and you know. Whereas I have no problem with this, and I'm just like, I love this
1: violence. <laughs> for well, some reason, that's you know, it's you're a different structure, and I think more that's soaked in blood. Yeah, I think that's oh, yeah, I'm definitely in me, <laughs> in many many ways. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that's this, this interesting on that point is the the difference between those d- those two uh, genres is when mm-hmm. you get to especially like the slasher genre. The slasher genre in it at the heart is a mystery. You know, it's 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 like um, and then there were none. The sort of the Agatha Christie what you know mystery that I love it. Um, um, you know, the the right. name has changed a number of times, um, including Clue. Include, yeah, Clue, I love Clue. I watched this recently. Clue is a too. fantastic film, but it's that mystery at the heart of it. It's a slasher film. Is each of the deaths either remove a suspect or introduce a suspect, or there's something else? So each of the deaths and the the kills are not only inventive. They're sort of if it's done well, for the most part, it will serve the plot, or it will serve something, you know, or it's an inventive kill I could get that. But with this, it's the carnage, like. There's a key plot running through it, and then it's sort of like a side quest. You know, a computer game. You're like, we're going to follow these characters, but whilst mm. we're here, we're going to watch these girls die, move on to the next one. And it's sort of – there's a little bit of that to it that, you know, it so – um, you would
2: say this is sort of more like a, a late installment in one of those slasher franchises where they just – Up the carnage, and you're like, right, you forgot the mystery and the plot and making me care about the characters, which was there in the original movies we liked. And exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: But there's characters in this that work. I mean, the two main characters that that get to the end and stuff. Like the ending, I like the ending of this Hmm. film. And not not because it's ended, but the whole finale with the guy, the, the the PE teacher and when yeah. you learn about who he is and, and his, you know and all that other stuff, apart from when he gets shot and then gets back up again, is is weird. But, but I like that. But, I, okay. but but I think overall, I think the ending is is impactful and works. It's one of the it's one of the best bits of the film for me. He's the one of the best bits. Like him introducing mm. the whole concept and killing people off at the beginning. Brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. That film is that that scene is really well done. He's he's clearly having a ball, but like not chewing up the scenery that much. But there's the whole there's a whole bit in the middle where it sort of, yeah, it just feels a bit the pacing's all over and that sort of thing. So but I do get why this film's important. Like I understand its place in cinema history. But it's not one I would revisit often. Mm. Or maybe even again to be honest. Wow.
2: Well I mean I, I I would just add I find it uh entertaining from start to finish. Mm. And so although I notice, I, 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 know that, I know that influence. I'm more moved by what is gesturing at in terms of, you know, adolescence and, you know, all of and the cruelty of kids and, and all of these things. I'm more moved by that. Um, a little gestures in that direction. Do it for me. I don't need the 20 minutes of, you know, kids talking to each other about how sad life is or some shit. You know, I'm bored by that. Uh Just have them kill each other. and, <laughs> and Give me some grace notes and I'll cry at those grace notes. Um, But I'm never bored in this movie. I mean, there's mm. no point at which I'm not just like glued to the set, you know, enthralled. So I gave this an 8.25. oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> this may be I don't know if we have had this I gave this a 5.5 5. okay
2: maybe one of the biggest gaps you know uh, close to a 3 point gap that, we, that we've ever had
1: yeah yeah I mean five, it's that thing you know you were saying when you said 5.5 is it, not bad no no, no I mean, it's, it's, it's not bad I mean like you said there's good stuff in this but it's not quite a 6 you know what I mean it's not where yeah. I'm like okay there's stuff I'm taking uh. from this Okay, so from the uh, the the sweat and grime of the murderous jungle to uh the outer reaches of the galaxy, uh to two thousand five's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um directed by Garth Jennings and and starring a, a, a quite a large cast of, of oddbods, but uh what are your thoughts then on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy?
2: and and talented oddballs i don't think Mm. this is going to be a split vote like the last one uh i mean i think we both love this Mm. um and you know it's not without certain flaws uh you know we we talked about them in the episode sort of you know the pov gun special effects still bothers me for some reason it's such a minor thing but that weighs on me um but this is this is a classic and but also I kind of feel like not only is this a good Hollywood movie and a good Hollywood sci-fi movie that gets at so much of what we like and you know and and how we see the world but the universe but also um I think like the world would be a better place if everybody in it watched this movie
1: yeah yeah I, th- I think I agree I think um <laughs> There's, there's something about this film that um, it wasn't a huge success. It wasn't a success that they thought it was going to be. I mean, they thought this was going to be like The Men in Black or the next sort of like, you know, big sci-fi franchise. It's it, it's very quintessentially British. I mean, the whole thing, obviously Doug Adams has been English. It has that sensibility. It has that humour. Um, and I don't think it always translates well. I think you and I sort of share some of that humour, luckily. So we sort of were able to enjoy that. But it's, they've Hollywoodized it enough that I think it's mainstream without being too Hollywood. And it, it maintains a quirkiness that I really enjoy. I think Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent is perfect casting. The more I reflect on it, the more I think he's this sort of frustrated middle Englishman is wonderfully cast and I think he works so, so well. Um, and you know it, it, him against. I'm saying it's Sam Rockwell and Zaphod, Beaver Brooks, It's it's just it's just even now I'm just like it's just he, he is excellent. Um, however, I do think that this is there's an element of this. I just don't. I can see why people don't get this. Like how you would market this because it's not mm. it it's not action any like you know it's you watch the trailers and it's almost badged as almost like a, as a man in black, like an action-y kind of film. They sort of focus on some of mm. that bits. Um, and it's not that. And I think, you know, this is where I think the problem lied uh, with, with this film um, and, and its reception. Uh, but I, I just don't, know, I just, yeah, you're right. Some of the, there are points I don't like, but I just, there's something about this one that just works for me. Like, that's mm. just so, so, so good. I think, um and also having watched the 81 version, the T TV, TV version, it fixes problems that we identified in that as well. Uh like Trillion is actually a way more proactive character in this um and been explained. Um
2: it's a more diverse
1: cast. The a much more diverse cast. The quest for uh, you know, for the the point of gun being introduced, yeah, Magrathia sort of like the the whole quest makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a justification. There's stuff. There's reasons for it. So it, it sort of tidies up the, this version. Mm-hmm. So, I, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It just works. And and gone. Sorry.
2: Well, Sam Rockwell is. I mean, this is one of my favorite Sam Rockwell stars, yeah. and I love Sam Rockwell. I mean, eventually we'll do Moon, mm. um, but I mean. You know, Sam Rockwell is a joy to see, uh, you know, it, I mean, which is probably the wrong term for a guy who's like famous for being swarmy. Um, but <laughs> but he is he is just a joy to see on screen. Um, so many of these actors are. I agree with you, even like the, the, the design, uh, the design of the ships is amazing. The design of all of it is just fantastic. I, I think it's hard to beat the you know while it's got some problems, it does seem like they ran out of money mm. um, it it's hard to beat the uh planetary design stuff at the end like mm. boy, that's hard to sell
0: yeah.
2: and and you you could do that and have it fall on its face. you can do that and have it seem just cheap and um, not have that sense of splendor and wonder this has that sense of splendor and wonder that sells this film um and to me this movie's got yeah it's not dumb enough to succeed with america okay i mean it doesn't have enough punchy punchy mm. um but it's got so much heart and it, and and it's so entertaining
1: yeah one of the things that, yeah you're right heart is one of the things i think that this this film does have um And uh, but also I think, like you said, the aesthetics. I wanted I wanted to talk about that. Is yes, there's some issues. I think in a couple of scenes where the let's say the point of view. Good when they get to Magrathea, Magrathea looks a bit shaky. It's not the best. It looks a bit TV set. Um, but the Vogons. I love the Vogons in this. They are phenomenal. They're they're one of my favourite on screen like puppet aliens. They're just so. They're a brilliant design they are you know uh, <laughs> so dim-witted but like so the bureaucracy of it all is is really good um but the, the other thing i think we talked about is uh, readjusting this where i think more quirkiness would have been um you know i don't know if it works but like that more quirkiness could have been would have been even more entertaining like I think you and I both agreed that when you get the animations for every time you every time you get something from the Hitchhiker's Guide mm, and you have mm-hmm. Stephen Fry talking like it it's brilliant it's it's hilarious mm-hmm. it works really well, and we compared it to um the t v show the original t v show and there were there were additional ones where you and I were both like I'd love to have seen them update this one I'd like to have mm-hmm. seen this one redone. And it's a shame we didn't get that, um, because that's where I think, that, yeah, this you know, the one, the great one in all of it is the sort of the, one of those famous ones is, is the whale versus the bowl of petunias. That like yeah, oh, and, you, yeah. and you get the bill, built the great Bill Bailey voice in the whale sort of as it falls, and It's going, what is this? Or is it... I should call this something grand, wind, and it gets all that until it dies, and then you just get the voice of the other petunias to say like, you know, not again. Um, oh no, not this again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's those little quirky moments where I'm like, mm. oh, there's so many of those that are just, I'd like to see a little bit more of that as well, would really push us into that sort of really quirky sci fi territory. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do. I do. I do love this film. I agree. And I think it's,
2: I love that bit too. And this is that. The version that i think of when i think of the petunias Mm. um but you know it's funny that we talked about sort of the sadness of thinking this is not going to get a sequel this cast is so good yeah and i'm glad that this movie exists at the same time it does sort of illustrate that point that we often make about money Mm.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and if you did this on a lower budget Now, part of its charm is that it looks like a big-budget American movie, right? But if you could, and especially with technical effects being cheaper today, Mm. if you could do this, you know, on TV or on streaming or something, and you could do it today, and it would look this good or better on a much smaller budget, I mean, budget kills everything. Yeah. And, you know, when something is a $100 million movie, It's got to make 300 million to break even Um, and putting that on hitchhikers. um, Do I want to live in a world in which hitchhikers (laughs) have the draw of a Harry Potter? Absolutely. That is, you know, that, that is, you know, that is a world Leibniz would have approved of. Having said that, you know, um, that may may not be the world we're in. Mm -hmm. And, if you can bring it in a little cheaper and guarantee those, those sequels and have it build and, and, and maybe then it builds its audience. Right. Mm. So that over the course of a series, over the course of several sequels, you know, people glom on and, you know, uh, maybe it becomes Harry Potter in the long run or pirates or, or whatever. Um, So, I mean, I do think this was kind of, set up to
1: fail in a way i agree and i i do think uh, we well, i think we talked about it really is <clears throat> this needs a streaming this belongs on streaming do the first film you know the hitchhikers as a five six or six episode mm-hmm. um you know redo it as a six seven episode series <clears throat> and then each scene does a book that's five there's five seasons for you like and do it properly maintain that quirkiness and stuff. I mean, people are calling out for quirkiness. If umbrella Academy can get three or four seasons on net on Netflix, doom patrol is doing all right for, you know, whoever's doing that. Um, you've had all these shows that have been a bit, you know, they, yes, they're superhero folks and stuff, but you can do quirky sci-fi and all those things. People understand it. Now, I think now's the time to redo this and do it, do it well.
2: I, I think the real comparison there is Good Omens on Amazon. Yes, perfect. Um, and if you could take Good Omens, which has no commercial appear whatsoever, right? <laughs> and, and, and you know, jigger it around a little bit, but make it... So, I mean, I had friends who... I mean, I had read that book when it came out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but... I had friends coming to me and saying, oh, have you seen this good omens thing? I'm like, yeah, I've got a first edition on my shelf, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I had friends coming to me who didn't know anything about this. You know, if you could do that for hitchhikers. Um, yeah. And, and that certainly is no more sellable than
1: this. Mm. No, I agree. I think there's, I definitely think there's a version of this that will do that could do that and do it well. So, so the a
2: moment of truth, my brother. What's your rating?
1: I gave this a seven.
2: Oh wow! Uh I gave it an eight. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I could so... be talked. I could be talked up, talk, but there was <laughs> you were probably like, you know, ah, oh, I can't come to Julian with. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm the Brit in this equation. I can't be like, oh, golly, hitchhikers, and they. No, I, 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 and I mean that. I, I think it's. I think it's on par with Blade Runner, and you know, sort of. The truly great sci-fi. I think you could show this to anybody, and I do think oh, the world would yeah. be a better place with this.
1: Yeah, I think, and I would say that the messaging at the end, um, and everything, the the ending of this is is it has that sentimentality, but throughout, one of the things that I do like it does maintain that there's a snark to it as well. There's a slight cynicism to it, and so not not everything is. You know, yes, there's mm. a there's a there's a happy ending, but you've seen, for example, when you get the point of view gun, and you've see, you know you see Trillian firing at at, um, at Zaphod, and you see her position and all this, and you do realise that she's been putting sort of like a brave face on it, but actually she is kind of, you know, heartbroken by some of the things that's gone on. Um, you get that. Oh yeah, there's a happy ending, but there's still a bit of a bunch of misfits that it's never going to be 100% between them. Um, Well, and that's the
2: difference between this and something like Guardians of the Galaxy and then the usual sort of like, golly, we're a band of misfits. mm. You know, you think about the the worldview between this and Star Wars, right? Star Wars, literally, you have been uh, ordained to run the universe by the force, right? Mm. Like there is a, forget Divine right of Kings, right the universe (laughs) vibrates with the energy of your destiny right um hitchhikers you know yes it's pleasant at the end and there's this beautiful stuff but there's no escaping this is a meaningless universe in which you know yes the human race gets to exist again but humans are stupid and they screwed it up once and they'll screw it up again and there's no pretense otherwise
1: your world only exists at the behest of someone not rubber stamping a form. <laughs> That's basically yes. it. Uh and I do I do kind of love that. Um and also you know, it's it summed up. I mean they even take the Mickey out of the out of the force, don't they? When when um um what's it uh Martin Freeman, Arthur Dent, he says, he says, Oh boy, I have a feeling that you know there's something bigger going on. Hmm. And um Bill Nye's character sort of says, "Oh no, that's just you know, straightforward paranoia. Everyone has that. Like you know, no in the universe feels that. Yeah, there's no, there is no force. There is no great thing. You're just paranoid, and everyone feels the same way. So you know, stiff up a lip, carry on. Um. So yeah, no, I do, I do like this film. It's it's one I will revisit, and I wish pop culture would revisit as well Mm. uh, because I think it deserves it. Okay." So we're now going to enter your territory, really. A film containing we've gone from a film containing a, a sad yeah, we've gone we've gone from a silk film containing a sad robot to a film containing multiple Michael Bay robots that are very happy to blow the crap out of everything. Made of very
2: shiny polygons with a lot of guns. <laughs> that's right. I mean,
1: interesting. That was
2: going to be the subtitles: Polygons with guns. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I'm teasing, but I think this is a a, a very good movie. Um, and I mean, I think this first one, what stands out for me, you know, and, and it's interesting that, you know, I was praising Bumblebee earlier, but what stands out for me about this first one is its sense of heart and the mm. fact that, like, this is the best role Shia LaBeouf ever played. This is his quintessential role where he is a fantastic actor. And I mean, Whether he's acting or he's just himself, I don't know, but he is stunning in this role. Um, No movie, including the classic 80s movies, has sold a boy in his car and the romance of having a car and, you know, being in high school and wanting a car and wanting to get the grill and and all that that goes along, as well as this. I mean, License to Drive wishes it was this. Um, And you know, and I think it sells the whole sort of, you know, aliens on Earth, uh, their mm-hmm. war, our world uh, better than, you know, uh, any War of the Worlds movie. Um, You know, so those are all, you know, you combine that with live action Transformers, Starscream, you know, f- flipping around as he's blowing things out of the sky, blackouts, introduction sequence, you know, like those are two classic sequences in the history of action movies, and they're in the same movie. To me, this is a solidly good movie. Mm. Um, that I don't know how great a Transformers movie it is, um, but it's certainly a great alien invasion movie with uh, some human characters at, it, at its core. I could use a little less military stuff, but, you know, uh, a little less conspiracy theory, you know, stuff, but less piss jokes that was know, even yeah, here. yeah
1: <laughs> that's the thing i mean yeah this i agree that this is a solid film i mean i think you know very few films uh um have got a you know f- very few films or franchises have got such a good opening as this film the first what is it 15 20 minutes is a blackouts attack on the airbase uh in in Qatar, or wherever it is, um, is a short film in and of itself. Like it, you know, it. it I could imagine that being like the test that they do to see if this works. Um, it's really well done. It sort of, it has everything you'd want. It makes the Transformers or the Decepticons feel like a legit threat, and it sets so much up. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it's a really solid opening. One of the things I was thinking about as I again going through this list, and I was thinking about things to talk about. You Talk about the action in this film. One of the things that this film does that I realize how clever so sort of, Michael Bay and clever's probably never not used that <laughs> often. But one of the things I think this film does really well that way is it it doesn't stick to one kind of action. It's it says, right, we are gonna give you multiple different environments and we're gonna give you action each of them. Right, you're gonna get um, you're going to get an urban street chase. You are going to get, um, you know, robots killing each other in, a, in like a city and so and you're going to get it in the desert and you're going to get it sort of, um, these are the little bits going on. You know, you're going to get Hoover, uh, Hoover Dam. Like one of the things this does, it doesn't just stick to a single thing and then say, we're doing this. Like it takes you a lot of different places. It gives you a lot of different environments. And I just think it really, because of that, it feels like quite a big film. Like it feels like a legit big film. Um, And that's what I think adds to this sense of, you said like our world, their war, like it feels like a war. This isn't, you and I um, have said how we like, we like films that are contained. You know, it doesn't always have to be world ending stakes. But in this, you know, interstellar aliens or interstellar robot aliens coming to earth to have a battle feels like it should have those stakes and it should be earth changing. And it it does feel like that. And so I think that that's, I'd say that's a definite, uh, you know, a pro for this film. Um, And I I would say Shia LaBeouf, this is, I think the film that made him, you know, it's that sort of thing of like this, put him up there as the, often people refer to him as like the, the next Tom Hanks, um, you know, being able to be sort of like comedic, but dramatic and doing all this other stuff. Um, not sure what happened to all that, but yeah, I don't know. This is a solid film. It introduces the franchise well. The characters work, uh, you know, there are some odd tonal moments in this. I think, um, as you say, sort of uh, the whole the whole introduction of section seven and mm-hmm. um, John Turturro's character just is odd. Like you've got these very serious military people, and then John Turturro walking around in a vest and boxes with a seven on them, or a suit in, in the shape of a super seven. So he again, he's almost like the Dennis Hopper of this film. Like he's a, <laughs> he appears to be doing something slightly different. Um And again, well, there's the whole scene where he's like, you know, to a a, a a teenage girl saying that because she's a criminal, she's hot, which. Oh, that's never been edited out of this film baffles me, but yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean that definitely is a <laughs> an awkward moment. I mean, you know, and, and you know, I mean the Transformers were were great. I mean, mm-hmm. I will also admit that the whole AllSpark thing, which was invented here in Transformers Lore, is stupid beyond belief. It was literally invented because they didn't want to use the matrix of leadership. Because yeah. the Matrix movies were known, so to yeah. avoid that name, they invented this thing that like both generates life spontaneously and also kills Megatron. Like you know, it will create life and also kill it and do yeah. whatever we need in any given circumstance, <laughs> but feel really ominous. Like it's bad, and you know, it's the MacGuffin. I mean, th- never has there been a MacGuffin more MacGuffin esque than the Allspark. <laughs>
1: Oh no! The only time, to- the only time I will say that, um, and I, I, but the thing is, I love the fact also that the, the AllSpark is basically a very convenient box by the end of the film that can be carried around by multiple people. Like it works wonderful. The it only lo-
2: you that bothers you like that this room size thing is just like right. We need to transport this. Let's have
1: it. Oh look at it! How convenient that is. Uh, yeah, that that really weirds me out. That whole scene. Um... Scott, it's all done with polygons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but like, shouldn't that shouldn't if the, if, shouldn't that be really densely mashed? Should it like, be not possible yes, to pick course. up? But um, that's true, absolutely. Yeah, the, the only other film that does something similar to this is Mission Impossible Three, in which there is a uh, they call it the it's called throughout the film it's called the rabbit's foot, and you know nothing about it. It is never confirmed what it is or what it does. It's just called the rabbit's foot, and the whole film centers around this thing. It's a JJ Abrams kind of thing, but it's the same thing. It's a MacGuffin for MacGuffin's sake. Like, that's not the point. Like, it's we we realize it doesn't really matter. It's a football that they can toss from person to person Mm -hmm. and people can fight over. That's the point. Um, but luckily, the action that goes on around it is actually pretty good. Um, and kind of brutal at times. I mean, you know. The, the bit on the, the highway when. Oh, God. Yeah. Like Optus Prime's like ripping their heads oh. off. Yeah. Like some of well, that and, really.
2: You know, the other thing, I mean, that sense of war. You know, I mean, this is so much of like when I think of the X Men franchise, I think of superheroes. You know, mm. I mean, I think that Man of Steel kind of does it overly dark. Yeah. But while also managing to make you convinced that somehow civilians didn't die. I mean,. You don't really see that. This feels more convincing. Um, But I think at least that's a step in the right direction in Man of Steel, right? Like acknowledging, no, a world with superheroes in it is going to be incredibly violent and deadly. A world with Transformers in it is going to be incredibly violent and deadly these are going to be horrific 9-11 style incidents happening every few episodes. You know? yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're in the, you know, Transformers animated series, it's like there's a 9-11 every, <laughs> every month, you know, um, these are that sense of trauma and, and that uh, sequence with uh, brawl on the, on the highway where, he's just tearing through cars
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and we've all been on the highway. We've all had moments of, you know, you know, seeing something that we've got to break for and not being certain, you know, if we're going to survive or, or break. Okay. Or if the guy next to us is going to let us in at a key moment, we can all identify with that and seeing him just tear through civilians on the highway is really brutal. Um and again, you know, same thing in the city, you know, brings home this sense of, mm. yeah, no, this is this is a war. You know, this is what we saw at the beginning on a military base in the middle of nowhere, now has come to an American city. Um and I feel that in this yeah. movie in a way that I don't in you know, not just any Transformers stopped previously but also a lot, you know, even most superhero. Movies.
1: No, I agree. I, I, I do think that this is successful on a number of levels. It's one day we'll we'll get into the rest of the franchise and maybe discuss, you know, when they started to crank these out, if the speed is which sort of had, you know, caused the problem. But this one manages to balance heart with action in a lot of those scenes. And some of those, yeah, the battle scenes at the end are really good. I think, you know, there's, there's, um, we it, it, they maintain the notion that people have escaped. It's not you know, it's brutal, but not quite. You know, Optus Prime doesn't crash and land on a small family or anything like that. <laughs> like you know, you know, we're not seeing him peel someone off his off the back of his leg or stuff. But like, <laughs> but, but, but you get that like people are in threat. Like you know, they are people are in danger. So no, I think I think it all works, and I think you know, again. I think the characterizations are good. I think, like you said, we talk, we were reflecting back on the use of Megan Fox. Yes, she's slightly you know she's slightly oversexualized, but the actual character is pretty self sufficient. She's the one that she's you know she's proactive. She gets involved. She sort of you know gets on with it. She rides into battle on a number of occasions. Like you know, she's not a uh, like a damsel in distress at any real point. Right
2: yeah and and there's that wonderful moment of the two of them coming together as Mm. they hold hands and he says don't you want to be don't you want to be able to say you got in that car you know um boy this can sell and it's that spielberg thing i mean this can sell that movie magic uh in a way that um you know so i mean spielberg struggles to do these days sometimes yeah um and I, but I, I do think, just as a final note, that it's interesting. We both hit on how, like, all the stuff that's bad with the rest of the movies is sort of has some kernel in here, you know? <laughs> like, it, it has all of the faults. It's it's like watching that, uh, you know, general rise to power, and you're like, this guy's so efficient. He's the <laughs> best soldier. Like, he's going to be president someday. Like, this is going to be amazing, you know it's like yeah he'll probably iron out these rough spots you know <laughs> fast forward like every stage of his career the rough spots just take over right all of the bad things about that personality just come out oh, oh as he gains more power that's basically the story of the michael yeah,
1: transformers yeah. movie yeah.
2: Um, and it's painful to think about um it will be so interesting. What...
1: It, w- it would be interesting to sort of see some of those later ones. I mean, you know, we, we may not get to last night, and I've got no intention of watching that film again, but I won't um... make you watch that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I when we talk about, but... when we talk about, yeah, again, Anthony Hopkins being thrown around in that film compared to <laughs> some of the stuff in this, it's an, it's an interesting journey. Okay, well, let's what just you say score Shia
2: it? Well... out outperforms Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a bad side. All right? Yes, it is. Um, so, what's your I score? Think your, your turn. Is it my turn to rate
1: first? Uh, I, I actually, because there are things I do. I do have problems with this film, and I do think it's sort of false at times because of tone and things. I gave this a six point five. It's all good, man. I gave this a seven. Mm. So
2: you know, 0.5 difference. I mean, I would. I would. My heart tells me this is more like a 7.25, 7.5. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's that all that, like, All Spark stuff, all that, you know, all the, like, yeah, criminals are fucked. Yeah. That's you know? <laughs> like, all that kind of stuff that, you know, it's like I could show this to anybody and be like, this is an amazing movie. You need to watch this. But it, it, it's got to be a seven because there were those caveats where it's like, yeah, that you might not want your daughter being to be in the room for that thirty yeah.
1: seconds there. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think that's sort of it. Okay, so we're time gonna
2: crimes.
1: yeah, time crimes. Same year, two thousand seven. Um, Spanish. Yeah, we took, again back to Spanish cinema. Um, so yeah, time crimes. I I was it. There's been a few films. You know, I've either found them on streaming, I've been lucky or I've already had them, I've already owned them, but we've done them. But there's been a couple where I've had to buy them, you know, and I've bought them, I've picked them up on DVD or relatively cheaply and stuff for us to for to watch. And then I think, yeah, I'll drop that in there for a you know, a car boot or jumble sale or whatever. Time crimes is one where I did you I know, picked it up relatively cheaply, not really knowing what it was, went in and it still sits on my shelf. Because I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to this. Like, not regular, because I don't think that it would work in that way. It's not like a Transformers where you, 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 there's entertainment value, but there's something here. But I really enjoy Time Crimes. And I know there are problems with the way the film plays out. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that this film really tries. And I do think, you know, you can sit and pass this film out I think this may be. My primer. <laughs> mm. Well, I think that's the comparison, and I think for
2: me, uh I guess I saw I saw Primer earlier. I still mm. think Primer is the better of the two uh, substantially. Um, both have problems though, mm. and and certainly this is they're both admirable in what they're attempting to do, right? Um, I think the problem with primer is that it like omits scenes and omits so much that like core connective tissue is missing. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem here. The problem here is it's got all that connective tissue. It just it goes out of its way to show like, oh, OK, I'm going to put on the bandage now just isn't always motivated. It doesn't always make sense, you know? Yes. Uh, I live down the street from the Temporal Institute, you know, in the middle of the woods. (laughs) I mean, because that's where we could shoot. I mean, so, and and I guess maybe the question is, and both of them deserve immense respect for doing time travel, smart sci-fi on zero budget um, and making really good movies. And I guess the question then becomes like, what bothers you more? Does it bother you that like I think the highs of primer are higher, but the errors or the problems are more basic and key? Hmm. The problems with time crimes are more like motivation, you know, they're less like continuity key, you know, storytelling yeah. thing.
1: I think I think the thing I have more problems with primer. I'd like to go back to it one day and revisit. I think I have more problems with primer. Because of those connective tissue items that sort of it feels like it's omitting something to make it work. But this is the opposite. This is almost like it introduces things to make it work. And I say it takes kind of leaps. And I think we, you know, we discussed this when we when we covered it on the show was this idea of like, well, why does he have to do that? You know, like he realizes that it's predetermined, like this, this this cycle happens, and so you Know the, the moment of him, uh, one of the moments I really enjoy in this one is that moment of him turning around with the hands up, like binoculars, because he knows that he's going to come across him set this character to do that. And it's only on the fifth sort of like the fifth attempt of him doing it that it actually sort of comes to pass that it's exactly what his other self saw. Um. So I like that bit, but like you say, the putting on of the bandages, the the attack on the woman in the in the in the woods, making her do, you know, like it feels really, like really. it feels weird, yeah. Because then it's like, okay, you know, why did it have to happen? Like, th- why has this been put in the story? Why has this been put in the film? Because there could have been something else. It sort of, could it be, it could have been more accidental that that would have happened. That would have then triggered him to realize, oh, I can't escape um, this. You know, and then like, so there's that that whole the thing around that the whole him attacking the woman, making her undress, and then him stabbing himself with the scissors and stuff, sort of like that whole section is is part where I have the most problem with. Mm-hmm. But then there's other bits when it's sort of like his his he's clearly going crazy, like he's spiraling as he gets through all this. Um, I kind of like some of the rest of the stuff as he gets more aggro and he gets more sort of like you know each version of himself is getting more and more sort of like dangerous and sort of having to do things. And then the twists towards the end with him and his wife and, and, and you know, some of the other things. And then the, that, that ending of them sat mm. and he grabs her and sort of makes her sit down and stuff. I still think about that. Like I still, I'm still like, what, what happens beyond that? Like, I don't know, but like, I like, you know, how this film sort of makes me think about it. So, um, yeah, all those all those things although I recognize them as being narrative problems to make things happen, it still generally works for me.
2: Yeah I think that
1: I come back to that issue of motivation and uh-huh. I
2: agree with you about you know what's weak and what's working. I like the wife stuff overall um you know there's a lot that's smart and, and good here. Um, you know for me it's this issue of motivation. And it's funny because I'm usually the guy who argues for determinism and I still do, Mm. but determinism doesn't mean that I like, you know, yes, I might have to do acts to fulfill the determinism, um, but I can be uncertain about it. You can give me a motivation. I can like realize you know, maybe I'm suddenly filled with rage for this person, right? We have those moments. Mm. Um, It just seems to me like he, you know, like, to have him, it's not just that he doesn't, the movie doesn't need to have that nudity and that that sexual assault. Yeah. It, It doesn't. But it also, he doesn't seem like a guy who would do that, and he doesn't seem bothered as he's doing it. He's not like, I'm sorry, I have to do this. He's like suddenly becomes a guy who's sexually assaulting somebody, and he doesn't seem like he's enjoying it. Like he seems really pathological. I just don't know how to understand any of that.
1: No, I agree. There's a there's a leap early in this film when he you know when it, he seems to make an assumption or that everything is deterministic and he has to fulfill those roles, <clears throat> and I think the gap is. Firstly, I think, as I said, I think more needs to be accidental. That determin that determinism needs to be like it's fulfilled later in the film, like you know, the the crash against the dumpster and and you know finding the coat and all that sort of stuff. It's sort of, but putting the coat on, you know, that trashy coat. It's like, well, why? Oh, because the character I've already because it's already happened. Like, I've mm-hmm. already seen that this happens. Be like, okay, well, he needs to almost have that argument with himself internally of like, well, why do I put this on? Well, I've already seen that this happens, So it has to happen. So well, if it has to happen, then there has to be a reason for it to happen. Well, I should then put it on. You know, it doesn't have to make a great sense, but he almost has to argue himself into it, I suppose. Um, and we don't get that. He just sort of does it through a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and,
2: and even editing could help that, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, for me, when he puts on the bandages, like, and there's a moment of where he sort of seems to realize, I mean, we're imagining because we don't have any narration, right? Mm. Now, but where he seems to realize, oh, okay, now I'm that guy yeah, who I saw with the bandages on. And instead of sort of pausing and being shocked by this, he sort of pauses for a couple seconds and then it's like, oh, right, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. I guess I'm a rapist <laughs> now,
1: you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I like that last thing. Yeah, in for a penny, for a pound. Oh, well, you know. Yeah. He doesn't even try to... There's no attempt to try and break away from the determinism. That's the problem. There's no thing where he's like... You know, you you often see it in these films where they're like, no, I'm not held by the, the, the whims of the universe. I can do whatever I want. And in them trying to prove that they can do whatever they want, they then fulfill the deterministic future. That's, but that doesn't happen. And I think that's, that's sort of the thing that's missing is him, you know, being shocked that he, he is trapped in this cycle and then sort of giving in. I think that's the thing. It's sort of like, I almost want to see him giving in more of like, right, well, I can't escape this. So I might as well just go with it. As you say, in for a penny, in for a pound. But like, that almost needs to be like a breaking moment for him where he's like, well, I can't escape this. It is what it is. Um, don't know. Yeah.
2: Well, um, I gave this a seven. Oh, so did I. Oh wow. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, I'm glad. I've, I'm glad to see this. I will watch this again. Mm. I, I, I did enjoy it. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, glad we're on the same page, actually.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good film. I, and I am gonna, I'm gonna go back and watch this. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's got a lot to, to recommend it. Okay, from uh, Spain to Japan, 2008 Tokyo Gore Police, uh, low budget, whatever. <laughs> Not here. Yeah, everything. I was going to try and categorize this, but this is a really sort of like, infra penny, infra pound kind of movie. Um, yeah, th- this is an action horror gore fest that I don't know, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny how little I remember
2: it. Um, like, I, I think that it had a lot more charm for me at the time Mm -hmm. i think that you know and, and obviously i'm the battle royale guy i'm charmed by violence and you know excessive violence tie it with a little something this doesn't really tie it with anything but there were a lot of scenes that i would just thought i've never seen anything like this like this is so charming and over the top and all of them have kind of faded from memory a bit. what about you No, kind of less charmed in the first place.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things this film is—I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. There is some really good stuff in this. That sort of there's ideas, and I think when they go to the club, and there's that sort of like transhumanism, and they've got the people that have got the woman with the eyes on the stalks, Mm -hmm. and there's all those other little bits and pieces going on. That's fascinating. Like that whole scene is really good. You know, oh wow, this is going to go somewhere. This is fascinating. And then you, it leads into the guy, the undercover policeman, being attacked by the woman who's been cut in half, and all of a sudden her lower half becomes like a mouth, and you're like, mm-hmm. "That's crazy!" And like that holds so Like section, alligator,
2: you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the best part.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> that bit's all really cool. Can't tell you what was going on though. <laughs> no idea. This, you know, this is it. I remember that there's, you know, the the heart of this. There's a female police officer, and she is part of this this squad and she's out to avenge the death of her father there's this is whole conspiracy and stuff but it never really matters or means anything and i think this is the thing you said the gore even comparing this to um like say battle royale like with battle royale yes i was saying there's a lot of set pieces and it goes from one to the other you know it rushes through maybe But with that, there's still at least a little bit of heart where I'm going. Okay, I want to get to the end. Like I care and I enjoy the opening scene. And you know, there's that little bit. But with this, I'm really struggling to remember. Like you say, what Mm. was going on? What it meant? There's a scene I remember where a guy's got like a gigantic, like shooting penis that like gore. Yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, but again, except that he's assaulting
2: the police station. Which is clearly a floor of a parking garage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I but
1: mean... like it's it's got surrealism, but like it doesn't mm. but it's not like leaning in. It's it's got surrealism, but like I don't What's know whether it, Yeah, exactly. But I don't know whether it wants it you about? to I don't know whether it wants you to be charmed or find that the surrealism is funny. Like there is a scene yeah. where the guy's desk is in the middle of a parking garage and you're like, is that supposed to be funny? Is it no. supposed to be too, so quirky? I don't understand this. I don't think so. Um,
2: no, I mean, even from the beginning when you're introduced to this flashback to her father being shot, it's so hokey. Yeah. Like, you know, he's talking and then you sort of like, you know, it's, it's done in just the most stereotypical, low-budget, hokey way. And then you keep like zooming out and seeing other perspectives on the same hokey event that don't improve the quality of the image in any way provide i mean it's like by the way there was an alien standing next to him on stage wouldn't that have been relevant to tell us earlier like how you know i mean it's unfathomable in that way and and i think that you know those over the top. You know I, it's easy to kind of forgive that stuff and be entertained by the over the top elements. And I was entertained watching this, especially once I got into it. You I know, know. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I remember the bad stuff more than I do the good.
1: Yeah, that's sort of the problem. I mean, the 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 big key problem for me is is some of the bad. Like when this all sort of wraps up. And, you know, like, she becomes one of these things. They've all got, they've got, like, a weird fleshy key in them. Like, they're going for some Cronenbergian thing, and she ends up with one inside her, and she's got, like, her arm turned into something or other. Like, she avenges everything and does everything. But then the main villain reappears right at the end, and they walk Mm -hmm. off. And I'm like, I don't, I I did not get it. And I was like, okay, this doesn't feel like it went anywhere. It feels like a bunch of, funny ideas that they've, like, like, you know, a bunch of bros have gone, oh, man, this would be cool. Like, it just, it, yeah, it just it didn't work for me. And that Cronenbergian key thing, like, there's a lot of
2: sort of body horror and images like that 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 are very, you know, Cronenbergian, can stand up with his stuff. Mm. And let's be clear, you know, like, Videodrome has we mm. discussed. You know, I think it's a masterpiece, but it doesn't make sense either on some key levels, so to speak. Having said that, this sort of takes that as a license to abuse the concept of narrative in a way that is very different from Cronenberg. And it it, it has a set of stuff, whether it's the imagery, ideas, um, mostly imagery, that I think is top-notch, amazing, fun. But it really doesn't know how to introduce, have, have consistent characters. Even the no. main character just has, is totally shallow. It doesn't seem to understand how a plot works. Um, and those things, you know, are forgivable if you're watching a movie drunk in the theater with your buddies eating red vines. You know, mm. it's less forgivable, you know, thinking about it as an actual movie for a podcast. You yeah.
1: Know? One of the things I think about a lot as we go through these films is rewatchability. Mm. You know, if i if I was to rewatch this, what would I take from it on a second or third viewing? Like, why am I going back into it? Like you know, going back into like the running man is because I kind of I like those Arnie films mm. of the eighties. Like they're they're entertaining. It's silly. It's fun. And then you know, Dark City. Like I get something from that film, and so on and so forth. The thing with Tokyo Gore Police is like I think it's like a one-shot deal. Like once you've watched it once and it's and it's sort of shocked you, you can sort of go, oh okay, like there's no need to go back for it. Like it's not going to be as shocking the second time, but you're not going to get anything from the plot. None of the characters are fun. Like there's nothing. There's nothing else beyond that f- initial shock value or something that all pulls you back in for me. For me i would say
2: slightly better um i would say it reminds me of sort of how i feel about david lynch movies mm. which is that most david lynch movies i think there's a brilliant 20 minutes in here. i mean i think tokyo gore police probably has a brilliant 30 minutes um and, but i really want to watch that edited 20 minutes or 30 yeah. minutes i don't want to watch the rest of the movie the rest of the movie in many cases, whether it's David Lynch or this, has nothing to do with that 20 minutes. Yep. That could be a total digression, which is a dream sequence, or just like the characters wander into a theater and suddenly there's a postmodern play being put on, you know, like why the fuck not? Because it's David Lynch, right? I mean, Tokyo Gore Police is like that, where I would much prefer my personal 30-minute just edit mm. of like, here's your crazy short film that Issues narrative logic completely um you know then i would the rest of the film the here's rest your... of the film actually drags that 30 minutes
1: exactly yeah i 100 agree like, here's your crazy 30 minute power rangers episode like
2: <laughs> everything else could be dropped power rangers were involved prostitutes <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. vaginas that were made of alligator faces i mean but okay, you know, right? Well, that and was that all would ed- be that Power was Rangers that I want.
1: Yeah, that was edited out for for the, for the American <laughs> market. But go back to the original; you'll be surprised. Okay, that Red Ranger had <laughs> a
2: gory Cronenbergian penis that did all of his work for him.
1: Yeah, you didn't. Yeah, the Zoids they brought back right. was crazy. Um, okay, your turn. Then. What do you score, Tokyo Gore Police? Ah, uh, I gave this a five point five. Oh, okay. I, I gave this a four. Okay. A four, yeah, yeah. I really struggle with this one. Um, right. This Stay- next one is interesting. Too. Yeah, staying in Another the realm, foreign. staying in the realm of visceral. Mm. I'm gonna say nonsensical films. Mm. Uh, 2013's hard to be a god. Well, um, I wouldn't
2: say this is nonsensical. I would just say it's not interested in telling you the plot. Whereas, like Tokyo Gore Police. Does not make sense.
0: Yes. Um, right. this That's what
2: makes sense. It just has no interest in conveying <laughs> A happened before B, yeah. and you should know what A and D are.
1: Yeah. Well this is this is yeah, this is because this, you know, this is a plot. There's an A, B, C, D. This film gives you C and D, and then hmm. well it gives you C it gives you B and D, and he's gonna drop C from part of the plot and not even tell you what A is. So you have to sort of, like, hold it all together. Um, yeah, th- this this one is interesting for me um, because we got back to, our, this. we've touched on this, this thing about art and, and, you know, what these films should be. I mean, this film got, a, as I've mentioned several times, got a visceral reaction for me. I couldn't sit through this film without taking a break. Like, I literally had to be like, I'm walking away. This is a three-hour film that I can't. Do in one sitting, it's beautifully made it's incredibly technically well made i I can't fault um the skill and the dedication and the commitment that was put into constructing this film however like it also i don't know it's just. Well, I'll get to my point, but yeah, that's my pros for this film. I think it is wonderfully well made. I think the the commitment to the scope of the film, of like you know, the, the we said that that's going on in the background, the size of the, you know all the extras and the the the, the, the yeah, set work is incredible, absolutely incredible. But I'm going to leave it to you for for now. But so, 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 I'll get back to some of the points.
2: Well, I mean. It's hard, right? Because it depends, like, what are you going to a movie to see? And how do you mm. judge that movie? Um, you know, and we've had these discussions like, do you judge it based on what it wants to be? You know, um, how do you judge a work of art? Um, it's certainly not fair to judge it based on what we want it to be. Mm. Um, I think that it achieves what it sets out to achieve remarkably well. Um there are indicators. I mean, look, it's visceral. It's going to stick with both of us, and I think unlike Tokyo Gore Police, where what sticks with us are more the embarrassing stuff, um, yeah. What sticks with us are powerful moments mm. uh, with Hard to Be a God um, that are brilliantly shot, you know, and and upsetting, yeah. Um, but in, but in a good way, in a way that powerful movies can't upset you. So that's very good, but there are signs that it wants to be a little clearer than it really is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It opens with a narration, you know, with a scroll and whatever. I mean, okay, well, you know, none of that, all of that, sort of dropped, and you know, it it is very hard to follow. I think you know, if you say it gives you a in a capsule, poorly translated summary. Uh, on screen you know and it gives you the narration at the beginning like they came from this other planet right then B is completely dropped and not shown and never referred to you know C is sort of shown from a character's point of view so you Mm -hmm. have no idea what is really going on or what came before or after or what that character's bias is D is you know sort of uh, you know skipped again or something and you know, E is shown in full and it's majestic to look at, but I I'm missing puzzle pieces. Yeah. And I think that sense of missing puzzle pieces is key to the experience of this movie and its frustration for both of us.
1: Yeah. This this film one of the things that's that's been interesting about this is my I would say journey with the the hard to be a god. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've now ordered the novel. Um mm-hmm. I read I read a I read like a ten page sample of it and I was like, actually this is kind of cool. I'm gonna read this. So I've ordered it. We've watched the nineteen eighty-nine slash nineteen ninety version, the, the German language version, and we both really like that for our full discussion. Check out the Patreon. But that's a much more standard structured um film it lays out things a lot clearer <clears throat> and the thing we both said is that actually watching that made things in in the this this version much much clearer um mm-hmm. and that you go oh that's what that means that's why that's happening and that's that sort of thing so there's little bits that i was like okay but the thing that that sort of has stuck with me is the emotional resonance we both got from the sort of the 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 early version the first version the 1989 version with regard to what it meant and also the ending what the ending meant uh, in the the original version i don't want <clears throat> to i don't want to go over it because it's obviously on the patreon but what happens in the end is it's much more laid out it it feels earned it's sort of you know it's sort of, it's still got the, there's an ambiguity there's still some sort of like oddness to it it's also very odd but it works here like there's a whole like you said, there's a whole chunk where i'm like hang on what happens What happened to this whole thing about, um, you know, atheism versus sort of like the worshipping of of deities and and interventionism and and these sort of things have have been resolved sort of don't really coalesce enough for me. But taking this as a journey through um, Akanar as a place and having to sort of go from this sterile future... You know, this sort of, as a scientist, and then live in this maddening medieval place. This is mm-hmm. this works, but it just doesn't work as a whole. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I and I think partly what's so frustrating comparing the two versions is that that nineteen eighty nine one is poorly shot compared yeah. to this. Oh yeah, poorly yeah. staged. I mean, you know, is a low budget. You know, I mean, if if you watch both of them with the sound off, right, you would say this version is a masterpiece. Like, this is a European tour de force. And you'd say that 1989 one is like a crummy 80s sci-fi movie, right? It looks like a Um, music
1: video. It looks like an 80s music video in parts. Like, it's not, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
2: it's not good. But with the sound on, these are totally different experiences. And I think, like, so I mean the next movie we're going to talk about is blade runner Mm -hmm. imagine if blade runner were shot as Harrison Ford just on the streets of a futuristic Japanese influenced city right with neon and and all and you're just totally immersed that you're and you're told at the beginning you've got the same introduction about like these are blade runners you know in in that stupid beginning frankly um just as stupid. and But instead of seeing him ever interact with the police or anything, you just see him on the street. And you're like, I guess he's one of those Blade Runners. From the <laughs> and then he encounters, you know, a woman who dances with a snake and winds up shooting her on the street. And you're like, I guess he killed her because she's a android? I don't really know. like, And, that's the, and then that's the end of the movie. You know? <laughs> and you're like, you know, or, or he gets Rutger Hauer, you know, and, and, you know, they have some fight or something. Well, it,
1: no, no, no. The to... comparison no, the comparison would be like, he does that. He probably kills the woman. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, it would cut away. They would meet, it would cut away. And then it'd come back to Rutger Hauer having shut down.
0: <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and,
1: and Harrison Ford just stood there, you know, being upset about it. And you'd be like, hang on. I appear to have missed an entire scene. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, and in some ways, like this description of Blade Runner sounds like a fascinating movie, right? Mm. But also potentially problematic as a as a viewer. And and I think that yeah, that's fascinating. It's ambitious. There's something to immersing your audience in this sci-fi world, but there's also something to letting the audience know the plot and also having the contrast between that futuristic. Uh, world. I mean, even just having like the the base that they've set up on the planet, where they can go through. And suddenly, you're in a world with computers and cleanliness and and all of this, where you have that contrast instead of this unrelenting, merciless grime <laughs> and filth that yeah. makes you forget. It's like I guess they're aliens. Um, there's nothing visual to, to ever tell you that. No, um, except for some some differences between this world and our own that they're yeah. on, but there's nothing really visual to tell you, yes, they're actually from a different world than this. Um, so that's a problem,
1: yeah, I mean, this could be a time travel story rather than a space exploration story, but the other version couldn't, like the other version is set up to be much more um a different planet. Yeah, I don't know. You're right. The one thing you said that I I I, I need to um, resolve in my own head is this thing of like, can I meet it on its own terms? Or does do I have to, do I review it on my terms? You know, as I'm going through and considering this film, you know, aligned to this. Because you're right. If I was to say, oh yeah, this film set out to be Something you know, a three hour, uh, visceral visual, um, tour de force of this medieval landscape. Yes, yeah, an eight, it's a nine, like it works. You know, that's exactly what it is. Does it work as something you can go back and say, This is hard to be a god? This is the story that, that was laid out in that novel, this is the story that sort of like this trying to tell no it it really doesn't for me like it's it's not you know i'm i'm it's one of those things i'm so glad i've t- i joked you know i always joke to you about solaris or you know this is the new solaris by the way but the- <laughs> <laughs> you're but- like i've on solaris i uh- have but that's the thing i have because the i still think of that film and how yes it had long stretches that did you know that i was first but that film still had something to offer it's it's got some ideas it's got great set pieces and some moments there's other bits i don't quite get still but that film offered me something to reflect on and a narrative about that that was in there it's all in there you know you can take it from the film Mm -hmm. this is not that you're right
2: and you know i was i was re listening to the solaris episode recently which was our second episode ever Mm. and you know we talked about the difference between the early stuff on earth, which Tarkovsky had filmed more of, and, you know, was much more focused on uh, versus the stuff on the station. And we both said like the transition is clumsy between those, but, you know, I, you know, I defended the stuff on earth and why it's there and, and why it needs to be there, but admitted, like it's at least twice as long as it needs to be. Mm. And, you know both of us said like basically once you're on the space station it it moves forward yeah hard to hard to be a god takes longer to get anywhere and when it does get somewhere it's still sort of like i still don't know what's going on i'm still sort of like i kind of have a gist of it but
1: what well, it takes away not... the big the biggest problem i have with this film now i understand what the the plot is or the plot you know the, 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 the general stories of the whole concept is that you have these these grey people the 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 grey sort of like you know these these um religious fanatics that are sort of killing off all form of intellectualism they're sort of call it killing off and if you can write and if you can do anything you're you know you're creative a scientist you're in danger and this is building up to some the, an army of these people coming to Akana. That's that's the whole mm-hmm. the, and the pre, the the crux of this film is and a massacre. A massacre is about to happen, and does our right. protagonist, who's going around this town, intervene? Like he he right. is in a position where he could intervene. Well, the fact is that like, that intervention eventually comes, You know that choice comes to fruition as to something should happen. This film version doesn't want to show it doesn't show you that doesn't want to show you whether that how that choice is made it literally jumps to the aftermath of that choice and then we get a kid picking out basically ripping off dead bodies and again you're like okay this is a fascinating thing the head that's floating in that puddle as the sort of they mm. sort of step over it and the gr- the, the grimness and the, the reality of what an, a medieval battle would look like very good but I'm still going, I, what, who the hell killed all these people? And then you meet your main your main protagonist. He's sat around in a puddle, and someone has a go at him. And you're like, I don't understand. Why is this person angry with him? Did, did he do this? Uh, I assume that's what's being t- said.
2: It is hard to tell the characters apart and the different factions apart and to know if it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what did you ultimately
1: rate this? I mean,
2: you said on its own terms it's an eight or a nine.
1: No, you gave this a four? I gave it a four. I couldn't... Wow. I I really struggled with this, where I was like, I'm sorry. It's just, as you said, if I meet it on its own terms, on a technical standpoint, and I would give it, I would give that four, it's mostly for its technical capabilities. Mm. And I think, you know, and also... The story behind the scenes of how the guy who was really pushing for this obviously passed, and his sons and stuff, and carried on, completed the editing and everything. So it was to be completed. Is is a good story? But yeah, I, I I would rather watch that shaky version from eight. Much prefer to watch that oh, shaky yeah. version from eighty nine. Um, what did you give it? Is this going to be I gave,
2: a, a, I gave it a six point two
1: five. Okay. Still, so, you know, it's not still not quite battle royale, but
2: no, but uh quite a bit of difference. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. I mean, of the of the foreign stuff, I tend to. I, I think I'm I'm rating higher. Yeah, uh, and I don't know if it's a bias on
1: my part or yeah. Um, it could be a bias. It's more of a bias on my part, really <laughs> going in. But I the the thing is, I would have. I think I would have rated this higher if I hadn't learned more about the source material and alternate versions. I think I was able
2: to rate it that high because I knew a little bit about the source material. And yeah. versions. So for me, like I kind of have the confidence that if I watched this movie again, more and more of that stuff is in that movie. Mm. And going in and kind of knowing a little bit, I was able to say, oh, okay, there's a line that like that's the line that establishes that. Yeah. Um, You know, I think it would benefit from multiple viewings. It would never wind up being the movie that you and I wanted to be, but it would benefit from multiple viewings. And a lot of that confusion would clear up. It's just that it wants you to pick up those little scraps of hint at the plot that is on the surface and obvious in the 89. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's like, okay, it is kind of cinematically a masterpiece. It is an amazing feat of cinema. It has struggles with narrative, but I do I I do kind of grade it as if those pieces are kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe if i watched it five more times it would either go up because i'd say no actually scott all that stuff is there you know like and i it's really clear to me that it's there you just have to watch it five times to kind of see it all or i would kind of go down and i would say yeah um that stuff really isn't there and basically you know your first impression is right because there's no way you could
1: ever pick this stuff yeah I, I'm not watching it five times. <laughs> i I yeah. You might be right. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> well, one thing I would say is though, if you we sort of we go to the Patreon to find out more of this discussion about the the awesome. eighty nine version. But one of the things hard if you were to take some of the viscerality of this film, especially mm-hmm. around the the torture element, the the Tower of Joy. And put it into the other one, like that elevates that other film, like you know, quite quite a bit. That put that film up a couple more notches. Um, Okay, it, it is it is
2: flabbergasting to me. One of the things that's most flabbergasting. I understand you don't want to say I'm from Earth. I'm from an alien planet, right? And you don't want to show that, and you want to like immerse people in that. Okay, that is a creative choice. I totally understand. That's fine. That's one thing. I don't understand why you can't say and have the character say this guy invented a printing press. Yeah. This guy was, is the genius of our age. You're murdering, you know, the smartest people we've got. Right. That's kind of implicit in Mm. this version, but it would be so easy, even in you know, you're not breaking, you know, you're, you're um, hiding in the society by saying that. Right. And
1: a little bit of that would have gone a
2: long way here.
1: I agree, 100%. Yeah. So a mix of the two, you get the perfect version. So Blade Runner
2: 2049.
1: 2049. Yeah. 2017. Dennyville. We both like this. (laughs) At the end. (laughs) Yeah, let's wrap that up. We both big fans of this. Um. No, I, yeah, I love this film. I think it's, I, I, I honestly do. I think this is this is visually um, stunning. I think the the cast are all really good. I like. I think there there are sort of faults with the central mystery. I, you know, it's sort of all a bit too coincidental that Kay's um, memories just happen to be the ones of this replicant-born child and all that kind of thing. It's, it's a little bit too neat in that way but i do like the way it rolls out i do like the fact that it's it's slow and it's got it's, it works at its own pace so i do like the fact that it's not rushing to give you all the cameos that it, you know you're meant to get for this kind of thing and that so um if anything what rewatching this has, has sent me off into a bit of a blade runner rabbit hole to read all the other additional material so
2: yeah what well about yourself and, and, and stay tuned for our um eight episode well i think 10 episode recap of black lotus um where we spent 15 minutes an episode right um
1: yeah that i couldn't get through episode two <laughs> not because yeah, it's a bad I, story I, but the animation on that is i'm gonna have to try again i was trying to watch it through my laptop and i'm i might have to try again but
2: yeah um yeah i i think blade Runner twenty forty nine i mean certainly trounces empire strikes back as in contention for best sequel ever made. Mm. Um, You know, and I think that, you know, we had done Blade Runner before um, on the podcast in the first season. Um, And let me look, we both gave it an eight. Um, You know, I think that um, obviously like Blade Runner had tremendous influence, but I have a lot of criticism of that movie Mm. um, and think that there are problem core problems with that movie that are kind of overlooked um and villeneuve first of all all hail villeneuve you know villeneuve is great villeneuve could you know shoot a bottle of downy detergent and it would look like you know the most beautiful thing you've ever seen um you know he it's just somehow able to do that and to immerse you in these worlds and these landscapes even more than like Chris Nolan can. Mm. Um, and Chris Nolan's great at unrolling these futures, these weird environments, um, and getting you to believe them. But Villeneuve just puts you in them, yeah, um, in a in a way that is amazing. And I think there are so many scenes. There are so many from the from that dead tree at the beginning. Um, you know, and this, this, um, you know, box of bones, uh, you know, to the, you know, the baseline test, which I don't Mm. totally understand to, you know, the AI girlfriend, uh, you know, to the Vegas stuff and those shattered, you know, giant female statues, um, you know, to, uh, Robin Wright, there's so much here that is, that sticks with you and lingers in the memory. Mm-hmm. Um, as much or more than the original Blade Runner.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think this is one of those films that, again, you know, I think this will follow a similar path to the original Blade Runner. Like this didn't didn't make it was it's considered a flop. Um, uh, you know, on the big screen, didn't make all the money they thought it was going to do, but because it's not, you know, that Marvel pacing, it's not the film i think you know some people were expecting and but then blade runner isn't i think blade runner has been held up as this film and when people go back they're like oh no it's actually quite a you know introverted and quite a sort of uh slow paced film it's a detective story more than anything it's got some as you say, some problems this film to me just um is we talk about comparing this to hard to be a god about what cinema can be but what sci-fi can be Mm. There are problems with this film. I do have some sort of quibbles and stuff. But again, when you sort of you take it on and you're like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it look beautiful. And I'm actually going to give you a story where you're going to have to have a think about it. And we're going to give you some symbolism. And, and I think Villeneuve does this exceptionally well. I mean, Dune and Arrival and everything do, you know, are, I would say on par with this. It, it elevates not just the film, but it's quite clear that, like you say, the cast get it as well and they're elevating to it
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know when I, I remember when this came out and thinking oh Ryan Gosling okay mm-hmm. you know he's trying to do this thing of you know there's Drive and Beyond the Pines and all these other films that he'd done and I'm like yeah alright but he's trying to shake. He's, he's still trying to shake off that the Mickey Mouse Club kind of image from his youth what's this going to be but he's brilliant I think he's absolutely yeah. fantastic in this film it's clear that even like Harrison Ford, and I'll say this with confidence Harrison Ford turned up to the set of Star Wars, Force Awakens, <laughs> and was like, Yeah, well, I'm going to be Han Solo again, and I'll do it. Turns up to this, and he gives it some. Like, he, this clearly feels way much more like a, a project he has passion for than than some others, especially at this age. And you mentioned like, Robin Wright.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, who's great in this and and uh, Anna de Armas. Like there's there's just like you said, there's a scene there's a scene in this film where a holographic AI character is killed off, and it hurts like it actually yeah. like you know you're like oh fuck like you know and it's it's done well and I just um yeah there's just so much about this film that's that's so wonderful. Um,
2: I think uh, that sequence where he finds the uh, horse, mm. where he remembers it. I remember watching that in theaters and just being devastated, having that hit me, you know, and feeling like I'd been kicked at the chest. And especially having seen, you know, uh, we we talked earlier about sort of, you know, with Dark City is sort of like the Matrix effect of sort of like pulling the rug out from under. Mm. you we've seen that now for 20 years you know 25 years as it's like a basic aspect of cinema and especially sci-fi here we have that and it's emotionally effective Mm. and i think here again not to knock chris nolan i love chris nolan we should do every chris nolan sci-fi film but nolan sometimes get pegged for being emotionless yeah and you know not yes and villeneuve could never be pegged for that um this manages the reason why that's so effective is it takes an abstract everything you know is wrong kind of who am i moment and grounds it just pounds it into you emotionally Mm -hmm. um right down to the symbol for what becomes the emblem for that realization which is a child's toy um cast away in the ash what could be more symbolic
1: but what what's but what makes that even more impactful because i do i love that scene and and again gosling plays it really well is is the fact that it's um it has things like the musical swell and these are the moments and stuff that go with it and i love the fact that it's it's followed up with his, you know, his AI girlfriend saying, "Look, I told you you were special. Like, you know, she's always been there. You know, there is something more to you." And it throws you in the audience. You are, you are okay at this moment. You're thrown off, but then you spend the rest of the film learning the truth, and so it's like, yes, I'm going to give you this emotional impact, and then I'm going to give you more. Like, I'm going to drag you over the coals with it as well. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of. Hard, you know that he, because for K, like he believes in his thing, and then it gets slowly gets taken away from him as the realization sets in throughout the other information. Um, and this is that this is my interpretation. I know we had sort of a bit of a questioning about it, but like I like the fact that it does that. Like it's not going to be this. The world of Blade Runner is not sunshine and rainbows. It's not a happy ending mm-hmm. for everyone, and that's why I like this. It fit. It's honest in itself. In that sort well, of way.
2: You know, the the other thing that I think about is, you know, you said the board of Blade Runner is in Sunshine Roses. I mean, the protagonist dies at the end on the stairs. Yeah. And we have so few examples in American cinema of characters who are victorious but die anyway. Right? I mean, we all we love the happily ever after and American endings are the good guys win and it's sanitized and, you know, if there were sacrifices along the way, they were noble sacrifices. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, and this is a sort of noble sacrifice, but it's a noble sacrifice that means something mm. to him and one other person, maybe yeah. two. Um, you know, it's so small and yet, you know, it's this like personal victory, like, Yes, maybe I'm an android, but my my life meant something. Uh, Maybe I'm a replicant, but I did this thing. And I can die feeling like I didn't just fulfill my programming. I was my true self, and I helped somebody today. Um, And that's a victory, but it's not the kind of Hollywood victory that we're trained to expect.
1: No, we we often get these endings with revenge films. This is the ending of the revenge film. This is Gladiator. This is Mm. um, I'm trying to think. The Dead Man's Shoes. You know, not to spoil any endings, but this idea of like I have taken my revenge and I can now die. And join my family or whatever. Like there's that sort of thing. You know, this is the this is the ending that Frank Castle should always have had a long time ago. But mm. uh, this, so to, but to do this for a positive, not to have taken revenge, but to have sort of like resolved the conspiracy, to resolve the mystery. I love. I do, and I do, I just think it's such a sort of they they hang on a moment at the end. Obviously, you know, Harrison Ford goes into the building, and you know, Deckard goes in and puts his hand on the window, and we've sort of said there's a question there's a question that comes after that which is like, who are you?" um but <laughs> you know it doesn't that's not the point because then it goes out and you do have that resolution for K when he's like, as you say, I've done the right thing and it changes this idea of um this this weird question of what it is to be human you know there was all this question of is Deckard, Deckard a, a replicant or a human doesn't matter we know that K is a replicant. It's, con- it's pretty much confirmed. Sort of. Well, it's pretty much confirmed, but it's it's more about the human condition. Like he didn't have to do this thing. He didn't have to sacrifice himself for this, but he chose to because it was the right thing to do. Which you know, replicable or not, it's irrelevant at that point. You know, he's done the human thing, which is why I sort of I love the ending. Mm. Yeah, this is no, this is a great film.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think that another thing that I want to point out is um, it has such a French, to me, a French sort of love of beauty for its own sake. And, you know, when the AI advertisement that reminds him of Joy, right, Uh another version of Joy sort of tries to seduce him on that walkway. We don't need that for this movie. I mean, like, the only thing that's doing is saying, oh, yeah, remember who Joy was, right? And, like, that's not my Joy. I can't place her. I mean, we can feel all kinds of things about that moment. None of them are set. Mm. All of those feelings that we have about that moment and about Joy's death are implied. They're in us yeah. as we're forced to confront a sort of, generic joy a sort of joy before she's customized and Mm -hmm. and gets to know him and that's not a controlled scene in other words like the movie doesn't tell you what to feel about that it doesn't tell you see she's just a program after all it doesn't tell you um you know how to feel there It doesn't tell you, see, you know, Joy was so special because here's a generic, unformatted version. You can take it either way. Mm. But that kind of moment is going to happen in a world that has these things. And so it lets, but it's, it's this scene that's grounded in the visual. This stunning visual. And I remember it in theaters thinking, why are we taking time for this? This is so staggering. And it's such so visually beautiful. And we don't need it. No. It does not serve a narrative purpose. And if it does serve a narrative purpose, it's one of letting you as the audience decide how you feel about it. It's just this kind of thing would happen in a world with AIs, Mm. right? AI girls being sold to people, right? This moment too would happen. How you feel about it is left to you. But what we get to do with filmmakers, if we're not going to tell you what to feel about it, is to display that moment in the most, in the most entertaining, aesthetically appealing, uh, stunning way possible. Hmm. And I think that is so brave beyond imagining.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and I think that scene is 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 a really good. Um, pinpoint for that film because it does it. It's, it does it on several occasions. where It will linger on a shot or it will linger on a, a sort of like a a scene. Um, you know, we we've talked about this. A similar thing is sort of um Robert uh, Robin Wright's office and the way sort of like you mm-hmm. know there's the, do the, you yeah. have sort of like the environments of this, but there's what there's a shot through the window and you see the sort of the wider world and and the you know the st- sterility inside it does it again like when it goes back to um you said the dead tree and the, that sort of like that farm and stuff like it hangs on a scene of just saying here's this barren landscape and it's there for like several seconds it doesn't need to be it could just cut straight from it but they do they linger on it and i think that's what this film does so well is give you those visuals and you're able to enjoy them because it knows it's it's a part of it and you get to enjoy the world anyway we do. It's, it's, what did, it's, you, it's, what it's, did you rate it?
2: And, I, and we'll, I've got a few comments about my rating. So, what did you rate it?
1: I actually did. I gave this an eight.
2: I gave it an eight too. But we both gave Blade Runner an eight. Mm-hmm. I feel as if I give. I probably would rate Blade Runner like closer to a seven point five, except for its influence. And it's hard for me to go back to Blade Runner and say, like, yeah, we've seen all this Japanese stuff, you know, later, you know, like, yeah, I've got these complaints about the plot, you know. I mean, it's so profoundly influential that I give it a little point for that. I think Blade Runner 2049 is a better movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's better made. Um, I think it's better paced. Mm -hmm. I think it tells its story better. I think it's more obviously resonant in its themes. Having said that, actually in our talking about it, it's sort of the problems with it came to bother me a little more. Um, and and I don't know whether those problems will bother me more in years to come. But Blade Runner, the first one? 2049. Oh, okay. So with, so with the first one, I sort of feel like I give it Kind of a few points for influence with this one. I sort of subtract a few points because it's so new and I think it's a better movie Mm. than the first one, but I, I'm not sure if the things that we're bothered by in this won't feel outsized as time goes on, that it might age a little poorly in the sense of like, yeah, that mystery isn't really resolved um you yeah. know uh it, it it fails to really answer whether deckard is a replicant or not you know i mean it has it has problems that can be key problems mm. if if you sort of like twist your perspective 5 degrees you know and uh, yeah i know what you're saying so that i so i kind of like lower this a little kind of raise the first one slightly and lower this one a little from what my gut is about both
1: yeah I know what you mean. I, I can see what you're saying, and I agree with things like the mystery and stuff. Um, I, I go back to that thing you said. You know, you say about the like, highs and lows,
0: mm.
1: and when you, you know, um, and the highs of the first Blade Runner film, and some of the greatness of that, and like, even regard, you know, regardless of its influence compared to its lows, and there are lows in that film, there are problems that you sort of go, okay, hasn't aged well, and yes, they had to make up multiple versions of it to try and get to something, you know, that was really good. Mm -hmm. But it balances out. It really does balance out to become something I could watch. I can go back to that film anytime, And I feel the same with Blade Runner 2049. Yes, there are quibbles, and yeah, I might be harder on them in the future, maybe. But I think those highs are going to remain. Like, this is still going to be mm-hmm. a film I'm going to sit and go, yeah, no, you know, the the whole scene with Dave uh, in at the start of the film and the lingering, you know, at the farm and then um, the bits in Vegas and, and that moment with the toy horse, all of that is still going to work and it's still going to um, resonate with me. So I think you're right, but I think the overall I think it will end up balancing out in a much more sort of like, it will probably crystallize more over time. One of the things that's interesting to me, and I'll sort of finish on this before we get to the final film, is um, how good this film is and how much I enjoy it. And it's sent me off into this sort of supplementary material kind of thing. I'm reading all the comics and stuff, but how sort of like uneven and pointless to an extent the um, prequel run-up short films and stuff were. Now, again, we've Mm -hmm. spoken about them on the Patreon, so I don't want to go through them in detail, but it was just interesting how they feel kind of separate from the film in, in a bizarre way. And in talking about it again now, I'm like, yeah, the film's really good. It does all this stuff. It's got these things in it. Do you need to go watch those? No, not really, but they can add something. But they don't feel of a piece of this Mm -hmm. and it's, it's kind of bizarre really that it's as a sort of, we will talk about It's it's a weird opportunity, missed opportunity that still doesn't quite work in my head. Okay. So yeah, final film then. So we're going to be jumping into the final film is, is 2020's possessor, uh, by Brandon Cronenberg. We've already mentioned on this program, on this program, this episode of, uh, affection, I think for, for, uh, his dad, um, and how it's influenced our thoughts, but this well, in film fact, David
2: Cronenberg was the first director who we ever did two movies uh, by.
1: Yes. Yes, we are doing The Fly and Video Drone. So, mm-hmm. keeping it in the family with, with Brandon. <laughs> um, but Possessor is the interesting film uh, in that I've had to sort of go back and think about this film and it, it, it has issues but lining up with what I just said about sort of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, some of the highs of this film, some of the things that this film does, I really like that this is sort of going for that sort of like so much hard sci fi, but is is basically sort of going to go for something that's a bit more ambiguous. It's going to have sort of like you know uh, characters that are a bit sort of darker and a bit sort of like yeah. I I kind of like this film in in, in retrospect. I think. This is what I'm going to revisit and um, I think needs me to watch again.
2: I definitely feel like we need to do the other Brandon Cronenberg sci-fi movies. Mm. Um, You know, this is definitely a movie made by a talented person. On the other hand, you know, like I like the core idea. It's Mm -hmm. one of these sort of like inception things where it doesn't really make sense. It's like, what do you do with it? I think what it does with it is less interesting here it's it's different i mean it's more creepy and and bizarre um you know it's sort of horrific but you know and and that's fine i don't know that possessor has stuck with me as much as i thought it would Mm. um i definitely think it's it's a good movie it's it's a sort of fascinating movie it makes me but it makes me sort of like want to see more of Rainer Cronenberg versus more of Possessor, if that
1: makes sense. Yes, no, I agree with that. I think you know he's a a young, talented director that you know I'm sure he's going to be offered a Marvel film at some point. <laughs> but, but no, I think you're right. I, I do want to watch some of his other films. I don't know. There's something about Possessor uh, that really works for me. I think it's there's an element of um, the weirdness of it that that sort of that you know it's not going to it's not going to hold your hand as much as I thought it would do. You know, I thought this was going to be mm. a bit more straightforward, um, but it it doesn't want to be that. It really wants to sort of make you feel a little bit uncomfortable with things. Um, and then it's going to, the ending is going to sort of really sort of throw you for a loop because it makes you ask certain questions about, you said about this technology, like what do you hold, what, you know, the main character, um, Voss, what is she holding onto from those other former uh, possessions that she's done? And there's that whole scene where it's sort of Mm. a warped version of her as a mask being worn by her previous uh, possessors, but looking over her children and doing all these things. and, And it's like, it's so visually wonderful, like really creepy, really weird. And then the whole end piece where she ends up, she kills her, Son, but they they yeah. make it. You know, this is whole thing of like, well, who is in control at that point? Well, it's clearly her, rather than the other guy and all the other stuff. Like, it's just, it's just interesting that like they're not giving you like a redeemable assassin. You know, they've sometimes done this, haven't they? Where they go, oh, the person they kill people, but those people thoroughly deserve it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And th- this is like, no, 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 this is a. Con- this is a contract. It's like done for money. These people could be anybody. We're going to ruin a number of lives doing it, but we get paid. That's the job. And she is kind of heart and callous. And the fact that she sort of this job's had an effect on her, and she has to shake off this possession in order to re-greet her husband and child and all this other stuff. All that stuff really stays with me that they've done this. And it, also, it's a female character that they've they've done it with a woman rather than. You know, uh, not to be misogynist, but the, to be a man would be the typical thing, wouldn't it? The thing of like, um, oh, the man's the one that can shake off the emotions, but trying to try and do it with a with a woman and the and the child makes it that little bit more hard hitting, I think. So, um, yeah, no, this this film definitely sort of stuck with me.
2: Yeah, I think you've identified its strengths very well. Um, I certainly like that that visual with the face. I, and, I, and again, I like the central premise, mm. um, you know, and it certainly goes somewhere. There's also the sort of like conspiracy of her handler and how much her handler knows and has set all of this up. Right. Yeah, Somebody's possessed that child at the end. Um, you know, it was this all to make her a more sociopathic, uh, you know, possessor mm. to keep her on the team. Um, I'm not entirely certain, but there's clearly something going on there Um, in a way that enriches the plot in a way that's also frustrating because, you know, I I want a definitive answer.
1: Yeah. Well, it it does, I think, doesn't it, like you say, introduces this thing of her mental stability. Like, is this, is is it by removing her family and pushing her closer to the edge, does that make her a better killer and therefore a better asset? Or is this a breakdown of everything and it's all a bit of a clusterfuck at the end, you know? It's never entirely um clear. Um and I mm-hmm. do I do get that frustration. Um but I still like the fact that this end to me this ending I think is quite clear that it's showing um you know this thing of how she's regurgit we've said this about sort of again a comparison with Blade Runner, that baseline test that's mm-hmm. run. She goes through a similar thing, but she's able to just regurgitate this information every time. Like she's memorized the things she's got to say. Um, and then she's sat there holding that butterfly that she killed when she was younger. Um, and she's left just sort of lingering, looking at this thing she's killed. You know, it's it's very much a sort of a, a symbolism of the, you know, the child pulling the wings off an insect kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, to me is indicating what, what this means. So, you know, I, I just, I think this film is very good. Um, creepy. And, and sort of like, you know, I'm definitely going to go back to it at some point.
2: Well, I, I agree. And I, I can't wait for us to cover more of Cronenberg stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you, you chose this film. I gave it a 6.5. Okay.
1: I gave it a seven.
2: Very close.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, like it's not perfect. I think there's a lot, you know, there's more to be done. Um, But yeah, I definitely want to see more of his work. I definitely think this is a, this is a, this is a, a director to watch, um, and we'll we'll definitely try out some more of his stuff. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> so there we go. Then we've we've gone through those films, and what a hell of a season! Like, go back see the the mid one. Uh, I'm not going to give everyone scores right now because that's another twenty minutes of going through. I think that to go through them all, but we would probably post them. Actually, probably we'll we'll put them up as a, a grid, and we'll post them on socials. So you can see what we scored them. Well, um, I can tell you
2: that uh first first half you were averaging for the first 12 5.75 and mm. I averaged 5.79 and you've averaged 6.17 for the second half and I've averaged 6 point six five so I think Battle royale uh you know threw me um, I can't believe I rated hitchhikers higher than you do
1: yeah no I think it's just a, I'm, I'm looking back at the that the, the earlier stuff and there are a lot of <laughs> Considering we did some good stuff like we, did, you know, Wrath of Khan, and I gave an eight to and stuff, but there's a couple of low points in there as well, I think, that really sort of brought that down. But yeah, no, I well, think the second half's been really strong.
2: So I think, uh, you yeah, know, looking at yeah, Godzilla Raids again was definitely your. Well, what's interesting is Godzilla Raids again is tied with Tokyo Gore police for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, different reasons, but yeah. <laughs> and Hard to Be a God. You get both of those a four. Um, it's fascinating. Mm. Godzilla Raids again. I don't know. Let's see. I don't know that that was... Yeah, that was your lowest rating ever. You had never given a four before. You've now given three fours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they're all two uh, foreign films, so I need to up that game. I need to up that game. Um, as well, in, be a bit know... more... Well,
2: that colonial yes. Brit
1: mentality. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what that's exactly what it is. Yes, all films where the, where the empire didn't get to. Um. So yeah, but you know, we, I think it's it's just been a fantastic season. But this isn't the end. This oh, is yeah. obviously season four. We've done season four, and as we always do, that we do other seasons. We have got um, an inter-season. Um. I say break an inter-season sort of like group project Project. there you go into season you want to announce what it is yeah yeah yeah. so people know what's coming and then we're going into season five and season five's got a bit of a a twist to it as well so uh no julian you go ahead you'll let you announce you sort of uh, you know these were i think both sort of your ideas really so um well i think
2: i think we came up with the inner season together mm. um you know the inner season is we're going to do black mirror Mm -hmm. Um, You know, since we we specialise in British sci-fi, we've done, you know, uh, we've done Red Dwarf and Doctor Who. Uh, You know, let's do Black Mirror. And also ties in well with us doing uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. Sort of anthology shows. Well, it was also really being the inheritor.
1: It it wasn't unofficially announced, but there was... So Netflix Mm -hmm. announced a season six of Black Mirror coming very soon yeah uh, I, so that could that's be interesting
2: true. so we'll be able to cover that um mm. you know certainly by the time we get up there we'll we'll have covered that yeah um and then season six season five
1: the, season five uh, season yeah. five
2: thank you uh yeah so season six of black mirror is going to come out right so season five of the podcast here will be the first podcast that has a theme mm. um and so that theme uh, for every time that you say we're doing season five, I'm going to just interrupt you and say,
0: Apocalypse! <laughs> uh,
2: you know, I'll be your wrestling announcer. And um, so in honor of um, well, hopefully we'll get uh, Furiosa by the mm. end. Um, but we'll be doing the Mad Max films and a bunch of other stuff um, and probably look forward to that in uh the beginning of uh, as we turn to 2024
1: yeah but that's it you know we we we're going to be doing a post apocalyptic season and uh, by that point to be fair we might be living in a post apocalypse <laughs> so <laughs> it may be prophetic we don't know but yeah we're going to do all kinds of films. we've got mad max <laughs> we've talked about a bunch of films and this is this isn't going to be just on the main feed this is going to be um we're going to be obviously covering some some um, I don't want to say lesser films, probably lesser known films and some of the films as well on the Patreon. Um, I think you know, I'm going to throw one there. We're definitely going to be doing Hell Comes to Frogtown um, mm-hmm. on, on the uh, the Patreon. But yeah, there's so many post apocalypse films, you know, everything from, we talked about, oh, we talked about, um, I can't remember what's going to be on there, but Mad Max, Book of Eli, Tank Girl, um, i think
2: think we we vetoed book of eli i don't think that's on there right now but we but we have tanker on there uh well you know we talked about uh genius of Waterworld this season i mean you know we've (laughs) got to have the postman on there yes Um,
1: more kevin costner that's what the world needs
2: oh 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 yes that's uh speaking of steering toward the apocalypse um you know uh i'm pretty sure that uh, there's a, there's a tie between that and and people who like yellowstone. Mhm. Never yeah. seen it myself, but nope. uh,
1: Well, it's ending after season 5 because he's leaving. So that's all I know. Yeah. But yeah, we've got some fantastic films in the, in the mix there. And again, not just your standard ones. We've got some sort of uh some you know well, unusual fare.
2: There's no way you and I don't want to talk for 3 hours about Beyond Thunderdome. I mean, oh. I know yeah. I mean you and I are both huge fans of that movie.
1: Oh yeah, no. I'm I'm gonna be, you know, we're gonna be coming in. I'm gonna be wearing my full Tina Turner cosplay um <laughs> and and carrying my saxophone. That that film is phenomenal. So we will definitely Honey, the it.
2: Tina Turner cosplay is my job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we yeah, Thunderdome is is gonna be the pinnacle of this season. But again, got lots of things in there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thinking beyond. I mean, you know they said the projects oh, yeah. the projects we've got going on at the moment we're talking about um not sci-fi but um more things Julie and I are discussing doing um Kurosawa Akira Kurosawa mm-hmm. the Japanese director uh, a whole bunch of stuff we're gonna talk about his films and that may be available what well, we're talking about how that's gonna be available possibly through a Kickstarter through other things um but bringing us back to, if it's sort of been announced, but bringing us back mm-hmm. to Stories Out of Time of Space, the other thing that we're doing is um, Stories Out of Time of Space, the essays, I'm going to mention it again. So the did, book edition. The book, that's right. Six essays each based off the first, is it first three seasons we agreed? I can't remember. Yeah. First, first three seasons. Yeah, first three. So we have got a number of things we're going back onto there. Um we're going to be talking about all kinds of films in there, so we'll be starting that. And um, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I look, I'm going to give you a bit of a hint. Right? I want to talk. To, I want. I want to talk to you about this up, but this is an announcement. I'm going to give you now an exclusive. It might give you a um, a bit of a hint. I, I will be covering Demolition Man in one of my essays, and having watched some of the films, I'm going to be. It's the essay is going to be called Hard to Be a Cop, and it's. About- <laughs> And it is, going to, it is going to be discussing this idea of the fish out of water in a different time zone and how, you know, sensibilities get placed in different eras. But, yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing that. I'm surprised you didn't title it. Blue Lives Will Matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so it puns galore, I think, in some of the titles. I've, <laughs> I've, already got, I've got a Quatermass one lined up as well. So, Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yes, anyway, for now, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Season four we've done, and we've, we've enjoyed it thoroughly. And, and, Julian, thank you very much for um, introducing me to uh, Hard to Be a God, which which is <laughs> a film I, I, I will never forget. Well, we introduce each other to things we like and things mm. we don't like. Um,
2: exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, this has been a joy. It always is. I can't believe we have finished this year-long project. Um, it, it really has been... Uh, an incredibly ambitious uh, project for us, and obviously is leading us in ev- even more directions, to even yeah. more ambitious projects. So, um, it's been but, a joy, and, and I want to thank everybody who's listened. Yes, I mean because we we want the listeners. You know, this is meaningless without you. Tell a friend, um, and we really appreciate
1: it. No, we do, and you know, we like you say we're not just doing the mainstream films. We do do other other material, so. You know, and we want to hear. So, if you do like what we do, leave a review. You know, if you like that we do other films or we don't, let us know. But if you like what we are doing and you like the, the discussions that Julian and I have, do check out our Patreon. There's a link down below. And we are now doing that supplementary material of all those little bits and pieces linked with the main feed, as well as trekking through the Twilight Zone, our progression through all the Twilight Zone episodes, and me doing 30 Minute Thoughts and getting creators on for creator corner so yeah lots of things going on go check out our patreon anyway for now julian as always thank you very much and uh ladies and and gentlemen we shall see you in the black mirror
2: streams.